In a world filled with sharks, bears, and killer bees, one man is brave enough to stay indoors to bring you the latest in gaming, movie, and pop culture news. That man is Tom Awesome, and this is the Outside is Overrated podcast. Hello and welcome to Outside is Overrated, a podcast about gaming and nerd pop culture. Thank you so much for joining us today. Happy New Year. Welcome to 2024. I'm your host, Tom Sidlachik, and today we're going to discuss board games. We'll look at what's coming in the year ahead and give an update on games we've discussed in our New Year New Games podcast the last couple of years. Joining me for the discussion today are Hot Coffee Hobby Box Joe Burns hey, and the Ox Adam Wilson. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Welcome back to the show, guys. Adam, you haven't been on the main show since the Tolkien slash Lord of the Rings living card game episode. Did you go out and buy every set after we did that episode or what? Um, every set is a stretch, Tom, but yes, I got all the new revised sets to complete the collection of that, so. So, so yes, every set, asterisk. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm curious why you did that and you didn't just, like, find a complete set, like, somewhere, because they're out there. I saw someone that was trying to trade an entire complete set of the Arkham Living Card game for the complete set of Lord of the Rings. I'm like, oh, I don't think I would ever do that. Yeah, I don't know. I think with the, the LCGs, even with Arkham... I know that one's still like relatively new in terms of still being able to find everything, but I just decided since I jumped in late, I'm just sticking to the revised. Is it because sets. you hated playing with Burns? Is that uh, is that what I'm getting here? Well, I don't want to say it out loud, but spot on there, yeah, Tom. Because I won't on. play with the revised set. I only play with the OG set. So <laughs> yeah, so that that logic checks. Yeah, well, because the cards are vastly different. Are Not- they? No, they're the exact same cards. They just are releasing oh. them in different it's, it's bundles. It's different to me, dang it. Yeah. After after <laughs> like 10 years, they decided, oh, this is probably a better way to release this set. So. Or after 10 years, they decided, how's another way we can milk this cash cow? <laughs> oh, for yeah, sure. Yeah. It's revised it's, set. It's fantasy yeah. flight. What more do you expect? <laughs> well, speaking of milking cash cows, Burns, what was your game of the year in 2023? Yeah, this was... And you knew this was a tough question, much tougher than like the seven words that the question was. Um, Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. debated for a long time because it's like, um, you know, Final Fantasy 16 was was great. Um, I played that through to completion, um, getting ready, eager to play the first DLC, which released a couple days ago. I'm going to do that sometime soon. Um, But it's like the little bit of Baldur's Gate I've played like eight hours. I could see that being a better game, but I haven't played nearly as much of it. I haven't, like, given it a chance to anger me and frustrate me and find, like, the wrinkles within the game. And so it was a really, it's really difficult to try to make a decision between those two. But then I sort of sat back and thought, and it's like, okay. Then I thought, Liza P came out this year. It's great. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, The best game that I hated of the year would be Liza P. Um, But I sat back and I realized there's a game that I've been playing pretty consistently throughout the year that I believe came out this year and that is Frosthaven. And so that is my game of 2023 because we've played probably 20 sessions of it now. Actually, it's 19 sessions. No, it would be 20 because there was one time we needed to redo a scenario. But but yeah, so we've almost played through the full first year of that game and it's, it's amazing. It is Gloomhaven but optimized and better in every way. And so that is by far my favorite game of 2023. I should have expected a haven in this answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I didn't think of it originally at first, too, because I just gravitated right to, to video games. But, 
Yeah, Frosthaven's Frosthaven's awesome. It's fantastic. I, you know, I would still recommend like playing Jaws of the Lion first um, to sort of figure out how havens work. <laughs> you know how all the havens and workings and. Um, but then um, well, I would recommend you just jump to Frosthaven after that if you can afford the um, purchase price. And I'll do all my havening with you, my friend. I'm havening with you. Yeah. I can walk 500 miles. Meow, 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 meow. <laughs> Adam, on the last episode, you said the last New Year's New Game episode, you said your goal was to play what you own. Did you accomplish that in 2023? Um, I feel like I did pretty good. Uh, I wouldn't say I was an A student on this area, so I got more picky with the games I crowdfunded this year. Uh, that, that'll probably be a theme throughout this episode. Um, but... I think the biggest wrinkle I had was building a house and losing my main gaming space was an unaccounted for uh, kind of like obstacle that I haven't really been able to overcome. Um, I know at the beginning of the year we did really good about having Robot Club and we played a lot of Burn Cycle. That was awesome. And I just taught my family over like a family like get together Burn Cycle as well and they all really enjoyed it. They're like, oh, let's like get together and play that more because it's easier to jump into that than it is too many bones. So it's like that really like rekindled the we really need to play more robot club. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I was really happy with how we started the year. Um, just this whole like Adam building a house thing has kind of ruined the last half of the year. Well, and it's really hard to play what you have when 75 percent of what you have is in storage. Right? I, I would probably say 90 <laughs> okay, percent of what yeah. I have is in storage. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, it's tough because I only have so much at at my disposal. So like things what's interesting is like things like. The Lord of the Rings LCG that is easy for me to throw onto a desk, aka my work desk, because that's the only space I have to play, are the things that I'm playing. So I'm I'm reading through the rules, which isn't very extensive, but just having a kid and building a house and all the other things of life. Um, but the 20 Strong is actually a card game. Chip Theory Games came out with as well that I, I'm getting ready to dive into that just delivered not too long ago as well. So um it's like just kind of finding those smaller format games that I started playing a little bit more that were in my collection that like seem to always fall detriment to the big flashy ooh ah games that are on my normal shelves. So which number would be higher? The number of games that you have played that you hadn't played going into this year um, that you own or the number of games you crowdfunded this um, year? Oh, this year crowdfunded? This year. This year probably honestly pretty close okay it's probably pretty close um i was worried you're gonna say how many games arrived at my parents house but we'll we'll, we'll get <laughs> no, into that more later a lot of those you you pulled the trigger on before you made the vow um that Correct. was like legally binding vow to the oio listenership yes yes i would say i'm equal so in okay. terms of years past that is definitely a step in the right direction you're equal i'm sweet and low tom splenda perfect I can get down with some Splenda. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Before we jump into our main discussion, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Premier Health. Check out their website at premierhealthmn.com. That's premierhealthmn, as in minnesota.com. If you enjoy this content, please support the show at patreon.com slash OIO. That's patreon.com slash OIO. Your support helps provide all of the media that we talk about on the show. 
You, if you enjoy our sparkling personalities, you can follow us on social. Email the show at overratedpod at gmail.com. That's overratedpod at gmail.com. Follow me at TomSidLogicOIO on X, Instagram, and TikTok. Follow Joey at HobbyBoxBurns on X and Twitch.tv slash HobbyBoxBurns. You can follow Adam at Ox's Auditorium on Instagram. You can also follow the show at Facebook.com slash OutsideIsOverrated. How many emails did you get in the last year to outside or overratedpod at gmail.com? From like listeners or from like Board Game Geek updates that I signed up from for? From listeners. I Zero. Gonna, I was going to say, because Board Game Geek, it's like, nobody does email anymore. I, I, I feel like email is just the repository for like, yeah, updates that you sign up for from websites um, and then spam. And it's like, that's like... If something comes through there, like heaven forbid, I can find it through all the other junk that comes through an email. But we well, usually get the show notes. That is true. That is true. Because otherwise, it's like a crapshoot as to whether it shows up in the way that I have uh, docs filtered. So that is true. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But that is also an update every now and again that I miss um, and have to go back and try to find. Or you didn't send it, and then that's. Oh, that's I always it. send it. It's always on you, Burns. <laughs> Sorry. We'll start our discussion today by looking ahead. What games are we excited for and what have we backed in the last year? We picked a handful of games that we're excited for, and then we'll wrap up this segment with a lightning round, talking about just the uh, last couple ones. We'll start with a game that Burns wanted to talk about, The Elder Scrolls Betrayal of the Second Era. We did discuss this last year on this show, published by Adam's Darling Chip Theory Games, designed by Josh Carlson and Michael Germs. Gurnus? Gurnus? Gurnus, yeah. Germs. <laughs> no wonder they never got back to you, Tom. I, I have a line from my printer, so like I can't really tell what letter follows the G-E. Dear Mr. Germs, we really like you on the podcast. <laughs> Will you please tell us stuff and show me your workspace? Oh, too funny. The theme for The Elder Scrolls Betrayal of the Second Era is Skyrim meets Too Many Bones. It's a one-to-four-player cooperative adventure game with customizable combat styles, quests, gear upgrades, and dungeon crawling. I'd like to say it's more like a Oblivion. It's like all of them, crawl? you guys. It's it's just Elder Scrolls. Oh, I don't know about that. Is it Morrowind? Yeah, eventually. I don't know if it's. I've been oh, trying. See, see, okay, eventually. <laughs> well, well, I like I said, like I was telling Tom before we started recording. I've I've still stayed away from this one. I kind of want to treat this one like I had too many the too many bones experience for myself. Is not really knowing what I'm jumping into, especially with the claims they made with the campaign being the most ambitious game supposedly. So, um, yeah, I mean, so the way I approach crowdfunding is a little bit different than you. I, I think also is that I, I'm more of a Ron Popeil set it and forget it type of person. <laughs> it's like, once I make a decision, I, I do what you're doing now. It's like, I don't want to see anything else about this. I want to experience it when I get the game, uh, because that's a lot of what the fun is. And so, I went into this not planning on backing Elder Scrolls because I knew you were going to buy it. I also found out, I think, before I decided to back it or else it, or else we backed it at the same time that Dunham also backed it. And so it's like I knew someone was going to have access to the game, so I really don't need to get it. And we've done that sort of – we've had kind of that – yeah, agreement where it's like, oh, okay, Adam's gonna buy this, so I don't have to. Joe's gonna buy this, so I yeah. don't have to, kind of thing. Yeah. And now um, you hate each other, so you back to two, or what happened? <laughs> yes, yes. It's like Adam's got this new house he's starting to work on, and it's like he just doesn't talk to me anymore. What a jerk face! <laughs> Such a bad friend. <laughs> but at, so as the project was ending, though, I decided to look through it, and three aspects of it swayed me towards backing it. Um, 
So the first one was the ca- combat systems. Um, now the the actual combat itself. So like the way that everything works is very similar to add your chip theory game in here. A lot like Too Many Bones, right? yep. where you got your chip that's your character, yep. chip that are your enemies. They have the health stack underneath them for how much it takes to kill them. You've got your 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 mat that's going to have all the little dice in it that you've earned so far, with which are your abilities. Um, so that's pretty consistent to what Chip Theory Games does. Um, what's interesting about the combat system for Elder Scrolls is that or are we supposed to are we supposed to call it um, bows? For betrayal of the second era, or mm. Botsy, <laughs> is that what we're supposed to say? I, think I like Botsy. I think so, you can call it whatever you want. So for Botsy, uh, the, the thing that's really interesting is they have three. They have three different styles that the encounters can can take. So you're going to have your clashes, which is a larger scale map, but it's like a set map. So you see the map right at the beginning, and then you'll have a group of enemies that are on there. I think it could be waves of enemies that can come out. And a lot of these aspects, so like what enemies you're facing, what treasures are going to be on the map, um, are all sort of randomly generated from the decks for that region. Um, and, and so that all gets placed out. You go through it, you fight it, more stuff will come out possibly. The thing with clashes is you can't, you can't like leave them. Once you've committed to it, you're like committed to it. Um, and then you have delves, which the actual, you you sort of go from area to area to area within the delve and it kind of evolves. You can't see everything that you're going into. Um, pieces come out and every sort of new area that comes out is, sort of randomly generated from you know what this deck is that you have and then the enemies and the treasures that pop up are also randomly generated which i think that aspect of it being randomly generated is really neat because it matches sort of the procedural generation of the video games um and and how they operate in a lot of ways what i picture in my head is kind of like randomly generated gloomhaven like the tile comes out and like all this stuff goes on is that Accurate is it more like betrayal at House on the Hill where you're just flipping a tile and you get a little bite-sized piece, or is it going to be more? So for the, yeah, for the delves, it's more so a, a smaller chunk from what it looked like in the pieces that I saw um, when I was when I was looking back at what I was looking at um, today or yesterday, um, and so. It seems like it's that. It's like piecemeal, almost like if, if anybody's familiar with Warhammer Quest, um, which is similar to Betrayal, where it's like, okay, I'm going into a new room. We flip what's in there then. Flip that card, lay out the map tile, lay out whatever's in it, and then keep going forward. The Delves, once you get to a point, you can always back out. That's the other difference between the Clashes. So it's like, okay, you have that push-your-luck mechanic where it's like, do I keep diving into this to try to see what else I can find, or do I back out now? Um, and then you have dungeons, where the dungeons within this game, um, which is the third encounter style, those are all a predetermined sort of area that is for each of the regions within Elder Scrolls. So each one has a specific dungeon. But depending upon the quest that you're on in there is going to vary what you're actually doing while you're in there, which I think is also really neat. Um, and I believe that it still comes out kind of piecemeal. It's just instead of the delves where it's random as to what you can go into, if you went into this dungeon before, you know kind of what that next room's going to be. It just might be different things in there based upon the quest that you're that you're on um, at that time. And so, so that is a really cool aspect of how the combat is within this game. And that leads into my second point, which is replayability. 
So the mixture of those three pieces, um, also looking at the fact that you have 30 different main quests that you could be going on through that. And each of those main quests can take like multiple encounters to get through. Um, and then you also have 15 side quests. Uh, it's just really neat that you're going to see different aspects of each of these things. So even if I end up going into the same quest, like if I have to go into a delve for that, it could be kind of, it could be completely different than the last time I did that quest. Or going into it with two or three players <clears throat> is going to change how things work compared to if I went into it solo. Were you going to also touch on by chance the creatures, how they change? Or do you even know about that? I'm not sure that I know 100% exactly how that works. So just as a generic example, they also have it to where, like, a wolf can be in Black Marsh or can also be in Skyrim. Okay. But the wolves in Skyrim obviously have different traits from the uh. region they grew up in. So they have these, like, generic symbols that, according to the region they're in, creatures can also change and morph their abilities. Interesting. That sounds like it'll be a lot to uh, stay on top of when you're running a game. Yeah, just Excel sheets everywhere, pretty much. Yep. <laughs> awesome. Yep. Sounds like a normal chip theory game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going to be interesting to see exactly how it all kind of comes together um, on the tabletop, I think. But but it's just super, like that replayability aspect of it um, is super intriguing to me. Well, how much does replayability factor into both of your decisions to buy a game? Because, like, Burns, I imagine this will be what you bring to the table with your Gloomhaven group after Frosthaven is done. Like, I just see this as the perfect fit for that. For me, like, uh, I'm happy to play a campaign game, and one of my goals for this year is to play through a big campaign game, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But, like, replayability doesn't move the needle much for me. So the thing about, like, campaign games um, that I've found out is that once you start playing a campaign game with a group of people, you, you that game is locked to that group of people. Mm -hmm. As you found out with Gloomhaven and, you know, nobody else, you know, that kind of peters out with the group you're playing with. And it's like, okay, well, I guess I just don't play Gloomhaven again. Yeah, and my life sucks because of it. Right? Thanks a lot, Brian. <laughs> and so the thing that I, to me, that I think I would be able to do with uh, Elder Scrolls, or Botsy, excuse me, Botsy, right, um, is that um, I can approach that where if I'm playing through that with a group, so whether it's the full Frosthaven group or if it's just Chewy, um, I could have a group that's going through a campaign there I could be playing a separate campaign solo as a different character class um, in a different region with a different set of quests. Um, and then if somebody else wanted to play a pickup game of it, I could do that too. As long as I can keep track of where everything else was at and could make that work or manage how that works, um, that is what is enticing to me about the replayability and that I, cause otherwise if I'm playing, so like for Frosthaven, I wouldn't want to play through Frosthaven solo and then play through it with the group because it feels like the decisions are going to be cheapened for me. Um, because then it's like, well, I'm going to have to take a back seat with the group and let them decide, um, and not sort of try to sway them any different direction because I know kind of what's happening here. And so that's, I think what's really enticing to me about the replayability. So if I'm hearing you correctly, when Botsy comes in, yep. you're going to take your other 1,437 different board games that you own and they're all just going in the dumpster, right? Like, can I grab some of those before they go? They're already posted for sale for the date that that shows up. So like September, October, 2024, um, they're already posted. So you can start putting in your bids now. Yeah. Well, 
burns, I don't work, so, like, help a brother out here. Hey, you, you'll be working by then, so just start saving. Dear God, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so, too, Tom. I really do. Adam, how does replayability factor into your decisions on whether or not to back or even just buy a game retail? Yeah, so that's it's actually really interesting as I, like, think about, as you, like, put me on the spot here because it's, like, replayability when I'm backing game is, like, huge that's like i haven't bought a lot of legacy games which is like the one and dones like you, you do the like we did charter stone right yep. um but i had a great time playing that but if i own charter stone myself i don't see myself ever playing that game again right right once you're done with it or even with the completed box like i've wanted to try to like jump into a game of it to see what it's like to play with it all like revealed revealed um but it's not like that would be like Right. on the list of like nine other things before it that I'd rather play if I was getting together with a gaming group. So. Right, right. So like <clears throat> in terms of legacy games, I haven't played a lot of true legacy games for that that replayability factor and, and a lot of the stuff I buy doesn't have that. So like for example, Burn Cycle I love because it's like they're quick one shots. But Quick is a generous term. Quick one shots for chip theory game standards. Um, and, and so like the the robots you have the all the different random stuff like changes it so it's fresh mm-hmm. for me every single time i play so like i love that factor but once again another theme that's reoccurring in this podcast is like i need to play more of my games and and the thing is like my collection is huge at this point mm-hmm. and i I do really good about calling stuff, but I got to play it to know if I want to get rid of it or not. And then it's like, I have all these like, oh, I love these. Like, I think Anachrony is the best example. I've only played that at the board game, like retreat weekend. And I love that game. Mm -hmm. And that game is fantastic. It has a solo mode. It has a co-op mode. The competitive mode is what we've played. It's amazing. And yet I play that like once a year. Yeah. And so it's like I have these collection of games that's like I love these games and the replayability is through the roof on them and yet I've played it three times. So replayability currently in my life doesn't matter, but it's a very high factor when I'm looking into crowdfunding, which is kind of interesting, I guess, is the long point I'm trying to explain here is is replayability is not playing a factor right now, but hopefully as my retirement plan unfolds here, uh, I will be able to play these games for years and years and years to come. Uh, hashtag sleeve your cards. Uh, <laughs> the youngest person here talking about retirement plans. Oh yeah, you got to plan ahead. Joe. My gotta, sweet summer you, child. You, you got you to gotta, you gotta plan ahead. He's the uh, board gamer of summer over here. What's the uh, stretch pay deal, Burns? Yeah, so the real reason, the actual probably the reason that tilted me into actually backing it, because all the other stuff was like, yeah, that's great. I wasn't really wanting to drop forty or four hundred dollars down. You know, in what, August or whenever the heck it, or no, June, whenever it was that uh, it it finished um, to buy that game. And so the one interesting thing, and this really isn't a chip theory thing, this is a GameFound thing, is GameFound has the ability to do stretch pay. So instead of paying the lump when the game is released, you can stretch it into 10 payments. Uh, I think it can vary depending upon how much the, the game is. Um, as to how long the the thing, the, how long the term is of it, but basically, then you're just making a payment every month for X amount of months to pay off what your what your backing was in the game, and so yeah, that's worth forty dollars a month for the next ten months. 
Yeah. As opposed to digging into the savings or, you know, eating down the checking account and saying, yeah, I'll just dump $400 right now on this. Um, that was a little bit harder pill to swallow. So that's one of those things I think that's super enticing. And that's one of the cool things I think about GameFound is the ability to do that. And that, you know, was the difference in me actually spending my money on this game with them. Uh, so I think it's a good marketing tactic against Kickstarter. Yeah. It, it can be a double-edged sword, I think. Oh, yeah. But but the real question is, are your 10 months of payments done yet? Almost. I think <laughs> Almost. there's like two more left. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. I know Because I know it came out at the beginning of the year. I just don't remember the exact date, I guess. Yeah, but... I think it was like, I'm pretty sure it was like May or June. Yeah. Because it was, it was, it closed like the day we had one of our burn cycle meetups, the one we went to uh, Dunham's. Um, because then we talked about it after that. I think yeah. it was Dunham's. Maybe it was, I was, it was one of those. It was one yeah. of those. Yeah. Was it actually Robot Club or was it when I, when I preempted Robot Club for Terraforming Mars, for the Mars show? I think it was still Robot Club, but I could be wrong. Yeah. Good stuff. So that is our beloved Botsy coming out this year. <laughs> we are going to do a full episode of Outside is Overrated, playing uh, one of the Elder Scrolls games, plus playing Botsy. It's an IP we all have an affinity for, and I'm really excited for it. Thanks for backing it, guys, and uh, that'll be something I say for a lot of these games. Oh, um, but I'm never going to play it with you, Tom. Sorry. Oh. You can play my copy, Tom. All right. Oh, we're, suppo- we're supposed to be united. Oh, battles. sorry. Joe's. At- you can play my copy after Joe's done with me. Yeah. You can play Dunham's copy. Give him a call. <laughs> Dunham and I usually text. <laughs> Give him a text. Yeah. Next up, Ascendancy. Don't send him an email, though. Nobody reads emails. I'm, I'm a communications professional. Like A lot of what I do when I have a job is writing emails and like trying to get people to open and click them. People read emails. Wait, so you're like secretly like a hacker? Uh-huh. Trying to get people to click on links yeah. that uh-huh. drop sketchy. his cookies yeah. into their browser. Oh, yeah. I will drop my cookies all over you guys. <laughs> now we know. Fill my cash with all your <laughs> sweet, juicy, delicious cookies. They're the best cookies you've ever had, Burns. <laughs> Next up, Ascendancy, published by One More Turn Games, designed by Matthew Meeple. The theme is the ultimate 4X fantasy meets worker placement. Uh, you engine build your tableau, there's worker placement, you move to explore, place tiles, establish area control outwards, and build upwards. You build, seize control, manipulate the economy, or don- dominate the battlefield. It is a roguelite, Euro-inspired game that currently has a Board Game Geek rating of 8.9. Is it out? So is this like a... No, it's a uh, preemptive. Played like the, it's the yeah. like Gen Con or shows or whatever. Well, yeah, that or just the people that are like, I'm excited for this, so I'm going to rate it a 10. And then you yeah. get the whole silly like, oh, well, this game's not out yet, so I'm going to counter 10s with my one, yeah. and then I'll update it when the game comes out. Because Elder Scrolls didn't have anything. Yeah, yeah, about half the games didn't have anything. Um, it's interesting. This is the first new game that I've ever backed on a crowdfunding platform. And the decision point for me was my wife said, hey, check out this game. We should back it. I'm like, okay. Well, welcome. Cool. Welcome to the to the party, I guess, Tom. <laughs> yeah, technically, I had backed uh, Planet Unknown, I think, before this. But they were right in the same neighborhood. The things that I'm excited about for with Ascendancy is I love exploration mechanics. I love games where you can upgrade everything. And I'm interested to see how your house progression carries over. Like, you play as one of five different houses. You're trying to become the uh, leader or czar of this realm. And you have progression that carries over from game to game, which I think is interesting. Other than that, I've largely been on Blackout mode. It's like, I paid for it. I'm like, all right, great. When's my game coming? Is it here yet? Give it a couple of years. Is it here yet? So how does the progression carry forward from game to game? Is it like a legacy game where, 
like you change this one card and it's always different moving forward or is it like an actual campaign where the next time you play you're playing with the same group of people and it's it it evolves that way or aren't you sure i'll tell you in june okay if i remember correctly it's kind of like it's an optional thing the legacy portion of it like you can just play the game to play the game in a session and then there's like almost like a campaign option where i believe it just modifies certain traits of the nations because everyone's playing a different nation is kind of what it is so i think that's where the see that's where it's like to me it's not a legacy game if you can reset it truly Mm -hmm. without like a reload type pack pack yeah so I mean, it's fine. I'm not like hating on. I I'm super interested as well. I'm not trying Jeez, to like. Why are you so negative? I know. I, such. I brought my Nancy out today. I guess so. <laughs> um, and so yeah. You can yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know if specifically if legacy is the best wording for that, but it does look really intriguing. And and I think honestly, it, it'll probably shine just in the one offs. I don't think I own many uh, 4X types games. I enjoy them, but uh, like when I think of 4X, I think of Board Game Weekend when we played a whole bunch of them back to back to back. And so I feel like this is a little bit more in your wheelhouse, Adam. But oh, I'm getting yeah. it. Oh yeah, I got to I got to get my four times scratching going on there. So <laughs> I mean, you have Twilight Imperium Third Edition, right? Or did yeah. you get rid of that at some point? No, it uh, it looks fancy on the shelf, so I'm going to keep it forever and yep. always. Yep. Yeah, Rudquist likes to give me crap about it. It's like, yeah. Ah. No, four X's are my jam for sure. I yeah. I love four X's. So um definitely a It's just hard when they take like eight hours at a time. Is this one supposed to be a more like streamlined time frame? Yeah, I don't I think this one is similar too. So I don't wanna like derail Tom your you should be able to start, but this oh, that one, was all I got. This, so. Okay, so this one seems really similar to a game that I really, really, really like. It's in my top five for sure. So it's Uprising Curse of the Last Emperor from Nemesis Games. Which I believe we actually talked about on this two years ago? Yeah, it might have even been three years ago because it was like a talk and I did a follow-up on it and everything. And there's been an expansion since that they came out with. And so it seems very, very similar to that one except for the co-op versus competitive versions of it. Um, I guess just to like... I did back it at the basic game level. I just got the base game, standees, nothing nothing fancy. All in for this guy. Yep. Woo! Yeah. All in, huh? Yeah, all in was pretty reasonable. It was under two hundred dollars. Okay, yeah, the, yeah, the bundles the bundles were really, really decent. So it's just there's like certain things like when I look at it, it's like, Oh, that is an awesome dice tower, but am I gonna really bring that to the table or am I gonna bring my super expensive wormwood dice towers to the table? Mm-hmm. So so for me it was like I'm just gonna use uh, my wingspan dice tower forever. Well, yeah, I'll use my birdhouse. Dice game yeah. Yeah. I know, I know. Okay, I got a problem. We all know that. So, but yeah, I don't know. So it really intrigued me in the fact of like I really wanted to play it and compare it to Nemesis, and that's what pushed or not to Nemesis to Uprising, just because it's like that that game for me just struck so many like, yep, this is this is awesome, this is perfect, this is great, and it it was so similar. I just couldn't. Just couldn't resist the urge to back it at some level, so I, I guess I compromised this year and went went in at the just base game. But um, yeah, it, it looks awesome. It looks awesome. Yeah, and I feel like I did a terrible job of setting it up because, like, I I plunked my money down. I'm like, all right, I don't want to know anything else until like I can look at the rules. No, I I mean I I'm, I'm just I'm like that too. I have a hot take based on something you said. I think dice towers are more fiddly than they're worth. 
They could be. They could be. It's just like it's this extra big chunk of thing on your table that you have to like try to throw your. And it feels like, you know, sure, it helps you roll the dice. It seems like half the time when I see people using dice towers, either like in person or like on like gameplay videos online, yep. half the time they miss, you know, they, they spend more time like picking up dice from missing the top of the dice tower or they splatter out of the dice tower at yep. the bottom. And it's just like, are you really saving anything with this, you know, thing on the table? Now they look cool. So I get that, but. And I'm with you. I like, like I just use a jewelry tray that we roll into, but like, what if there was a wall mounted dice tray that was like a manatee? You could chuck your dice at as hard as you wanted to, and then it'd roll out into the tray. Well, you'd also have to be careful not to throw it too hard because it gets stuck in the blubber. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, I would, I would not want like a, a manatee anywhere on my wall. So unless it was an actual manatee that I had harpooned and was able to have taxidermy. So and you left the harpoon in it to be taxidermy. Oh no, yeah, that would that yeah, that's the proof. And I could hang things off of it. It'd be like a coat rack kind of thing. Conversation well, piece. Well, to, to try to try to set up just a like sentence-y. a gaming chair. Yeah, exactly. Just to get back to the topic at hand, to try to set up a sentence a little bit better. So basically, there's different nations, and they're all kind of themed. So there's like a pirate style themed one. There's kind of like an aristocrat style themed nation, and they all have different uh, kind of special heroes that you can unlock. So you're progressing your civilization through just trying to do a worker placement through different stages. So like within one round, you're going to have different stages and then you have progressively stronger workers. So in the first stage to think of it, it's kind of your like worker bees, your peasants, how I don't know the exact term that they Mm -hmm. used, but it's like that person can only be used in stage one. But in stage two, you have workers that are assigned to that stage, but they can be used in stage one or two. And that progresses through. So you have these like specialized workers, which is like a really cool mechanic that I love in worker placement games. And then you can, you also have this like fighting bosses and you can scout or you can just blindly fight, which is a whole color dynamic and strategy as well. Interesting. Uh, just thinking about the workers and the different seasons that they can be placed in, that made me think of uh, what is the Stonemeier wine Viticulture. Game? Viticulture. Mm-hmm. Like it feels yes. very viticulture to me. The dark souls of winemaking. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and I don't know if it'll suffer from viticulture's, not downfalls, but maybe speed bumps, which is going to get brought up later in the, the podcast today as well. Uh, I wanted to touch on it a little bit, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's very similar to that with the seasons and things like that, where it's like, well, once you pass that phase, you can't go back. So you plan ahead. So interesting well ascendancy i am glad that i backed it my first new project that i've ever backed i'm glad you backed it too tom yeah hooray i'm a i'm a big boy gamer now yeah i'm legit we're finally wearing off on him not only not only is he backing games he's backing 4x games so i feel like my my influence is really streaming across this desk right into it only took like three years of doing this to sort of finally get you to one of us one One of us us. one of us us. i'm glad you guys feel some ownership in my gaming taste but ultimately it was phoenix she's like hey we should back this smoke okay cool even even better we have his boss under our control Yep. yep Congratulations, you found the keys to the Tom Kingdom. <laughs> Next up, we discuss Andromeda's Edge, published by Cardboard Academy, Frosted Games, and Lucky Duck Games, designed by Luke and Maximus Laurie. Luke has 14 board game credits, Max has one. The theme for Andromeda's Edge is worker placement on the edge of space. You send out a ship to gather resources, or you return your ships to gather energy. Adam, you put this game up. What has you excited about Andromeda's Edge? Yep, so... Um... Andromeda's Edge really intrigued me, and that's I'm gonna like step away from Andromeda's Edge for a second. So, Luke um, Laurie is kind of the main designer 
of this one. And he first actually came out with Dwellings of Elder Vale, if I'm saying that correctly. So that that was his first iteration of this style of game. And that was um, published by Breaking Games. So probably like, you know, designer looking for a publisher partnership, right? And as much as we don't like to think this happens, but within the industry, I bring a game to you with an idea of theme and you really shouldn't bring a theme because the publisher is going to say, well, this is the theme we're going with. This is the artist I have hired, like, and so on. Right. So it kind of became this high fantasy. I think high fantasy would be the technical term for, I don't know, fantasy. We'll just stick fantasy on it. So you're like, dwellings is you're going out onto these like tile spaces you're creating settlements you're fighting bosses kind of it's a very similar vein game of andromeda's edge so our uh i guess my friend ryan young from iowa who was at the game weekend i think he was there i think you guys overlapped for like a day tom ryan's awesome yeah he's he's uh the big gaming uh network down in iowa that i have uh so he he also is a crowdfunding guru and plays a lot of awesome games and so he he taught us that game um one time he came up from iowa i think joe you did you were you there that you played dwellings as well so, Dwellings of Elder Vale is the game that you said I've played, but I don't remember if I've played it or not, but I probably have. Okay, so that was the day we put roofies in your drinks. Okay, got it. Because <laughs> I know we played Dice Throne with them, yep. because that was when I first played Dice Throne. I think it was the same weekend. Um, I think that one was like the lighter game towards the end of the day, yeah. and Nicole played with us. Yeah, so I don't remember... I think I played other stuff before that, so it could have been that. Okay. It could have been something completely different. My memory yeah. is astonishing. Yeah. So. <laughs> that happens with age, Joe. That's what I hear. It's, I mean, it's always been pretty crap. So, <laughs> so anyway, so Dwellings <laughs> is a really awesome game. Ryan came over and taught it. It was like kind of one of the Kickstarters I, I held off on. And after he taught it, it was like, okay, I need this in my collection. So I got it. So I bought it. There's this whole pre-order thing because it was one of those super hot games. It was super hard to get. I stayed up until like midnight to pre-order it. So I because they only had so many copies because I'm weird like that. And I'm talking with my hands and I just hit my mic, so hopefully that didn't screw anything up Um, because you guys can all see my hands, obviously. But... I can. Um, yeah, yeah. The the two people in the room with me. <laughs> We're but, the only ones that matter. Yeah. So so anyway, so I got that game and like a couple months later, Andromeda's Edge was announced. So this is what's interesting is Andromeda's Edge is the original game basically that Luke brought to Breaking Games that they morphed into what Dwellings was. And it was so popular. He's like, I really think this can be just as popular. So I'm like... Well, I love a I love a good sci-fi game. Like I definitely lean towards like a if I have to pick between probably sci-fi and fantasy, I'm probably gonna go sci-fi. I would say. Um, so like I was like, well, dang it, I just went all in on dwellings. Uh, <laughs> here comes the campaign, so I guess I'll follow that. So he um, reached out to another publisher and said, look, this is the game I want to make, and and they agreed to it. Which so that's cardboard alchemy and they they agreed and that's kind of where andromeda's edge was created and this was the original game he wanted to make and he he learned a lot from dwelling so i think he also tweaked it a little bit um but the interesting thing that i think is really cool is he went to a different publisher but breaking games actually helped promote the game for free like they were just like hey go check out luke's new game it's like the you know second coming of dwellings like 
if you like space and you you know Duong's in hit for you, try this one. So, but yeah, it's 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 nothing too crazy. It's you got spaceships, you can build up new ships, you can build new ships, and you send them out into the universe, and you just try to be better than everyone else. Nothing too crazy. Uh, I disagree <laughs> vehemently. There is the uh, Draconaran Flame Keepers. One of the factions that you can be in this is a bunch of cute little cartoon dragons on a ship, like. I call dibs on the Draconaran Flame Keepers forever, for yeah. all time. So that's actually from another game um, that Cardboard Alchemy made, which is called Flamecraft. So that's supposed to be like a family weight dragon kind of game. I, I would... Uh, I'm going to go buy it on Amazon right now. I'm gonna like, yeah, so I'll call it similar to maybe Creature Comforts. Like, not exactly in that vein, but it's like a lighter family game. So then, yeah, they, they took those cutesy little dragons and made them a faction and... Are they like the most bloodthirsty faction? Like, they will be. If Tom plays them, yeah, 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 yeah for they, sure. They will always hunt down and kill to a man, whoever Pat, Pat's faction is. I will eradicate them from the edge of Andromeda and every other universe that he has infested. Yeah, so I feel like I talked more about dwellings than I did, but I think the, the process was just interesting on how that evolved. And then to see like the support from another publisher, I think is really cool to see. Like, I think everyone in the industry kind of needs to help lift each other up, especially after like i still hear like of things falling out from like the whole covid phase of of board gaming and and you know companies are still turning belly up from from that and still trying to just like hang on so to see uh something that was post covid that both publishers were like happy to work with this designer on and promoted it it was really cool to see i think you heard it here for first folks Global pandemics can cause lots of problems for a long time. Back to you, Tom. <laughs> Thanks for the breaking news, Burns. Another thing that I thought was interesting about this game is you're building up your bases or your settlements. Like you're actually adding to the um, the figurines on the board. Like you start with a little base and then you add like walls around and then you can put a cube in it. And there's uh, I thought it was interesting how you build out your settlements. Yep, and that's very similar to dwellings. Is you have like workers that go out and then you decide to turn them into a hut and then you can like. Like, wow, Joe, you really <laughs> like, don't remember that you're day. You're turning people into a Yeah, hut? like the little meeples. Literally, you take like the it's little hut thing on top and you like put it on their head and it turns them into a house. So like like literally just like a house made of flesh. Like, like literally, This is a dark game. Yeah, like, How do I not yeah. remember it? You just take, wait until these dragons pop in, dude. Yeah, this take, is like take, the Boltons. Take your, take your meeple flesh and throw your roof on top. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's where it's like the two games are very similar. So I think what's going to be interesting is it's definitely going to have to have one of these come to Jesus moments for my collection on do I really need both of these games? Yeah, I'll take your trash. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> So, we'll see, but obviously it has to be delivered first and I have to get them both played more to really decide, but Yeah, that is Andromeda's Edge. When uh, when does that game arrive? Oh, good lord. I'd have to look it up. Yeah, I should have thought um, of that when I was putting together the show notes. That'd be really helpful for a lot of these. Like, it says 2024, but I don't know the exact. I could try to pull up GameFound here quick and yeah. plug that in. But Botsy comes out this year. Um, it's supposed to be like September, October time frame. I haven't... I don't remember seeing anything that they said where the time frame was being adjusted, but... Ascendancy comes out this summer. Hopefully uh, Andromeda's Edge comes out this year. Next up, we'll discuss Metal Gear Solid, the board game. Published by Simon Global Limited, designed by Emerson Matsuuchi. 
Yeah, nailed that one. Pretty yeah. close. Matsuchi. You, just, you, don't need to, you don't need to put the extra space between the two U's. <laughs> oh, they spelled it out on Board Game Geek and everything. And well, I, no, because it's Matsuchi. You know. Matsuchi. Yeah, Matsuchi. Yeah. He has 31 game credits, including Spectre Ops, Reef, Halloween, Foundations of Rome, and Century. The theme is uh, basically a co-op stealth campaign game. No Board Game Geek rating. Burns, why are you excited for Metal Gear Solid, the board game? So I believe we actually talked about this game in the first New Year New Games episode that we did, which was that 2020, that 2019. How long have we been doing this show? Oh, uh, I think this is the third year, so okay. that would be 2020. 2020. Okay. I'm pretty sure we brought this up at that point because that was ramping up to when it was supposed to be coming out originally. And then, um, similar to what we were talking about, um there were licensing issues with the game and the company that was making it uh idw games uh they actually closed down that function idw closed down the gaming division of it and so the game basically got canceled at that point um but apparently simon purchased the rights for it um within the last like year or two and so now they're ramping it up to release in may 2024 um and that's soon that's just months from now yeah yeah it's it's coming out they put up the pre-orders in october um i didn't realize that they were doing like an actual pre-order for it so i actually missed the pre-orders so i'll buy it when it comes out in may uh, or pre-order it at like an actual uh, retailer um but for me this is a board game representation of one of my favorite games of all time uh, metal gear solid and so playing through the story of that with other folks um and, and just you know seeing the characters um i'm really interested to see how they translate the different bosses into mechanics on the tabletop um i had heard a bit from the developer of this when they were first ramping up to release it with idw um and he is like a huge metal gear solid fan like he loves the franchise loves the games and so this was kind of one of those things where this was like his baby. He really wanted to try to make this work. Um, and I think it's it's a really neat system to try to put this. And so it's like 14 different scenarios. I don't think that includes the six boss fights, but that might include the six boss fights in there. But you're basically playing through the story of the game. And from one of the previews I was reading about it on, uh, I think it was uh, it was Kotaku or one of those other sites um, did like a preview of it. Uh, and they said that it, it gets away with kind of retreading the game just because of how engaging the actual gameplay is to play and how, how good of a job they do to represent that on the tabletop for those different scenarios um, that you went through in the original game. And it's probably because it's also been a long enough time since Metal Gear Solid, the original game, was in the zeitgeist. I know Konami just re-released like did the master collection which is a re-release um re-uprezzing i guess to some extent of a lot of their metal gear games this year um but yeah i i think it's i, I think it's going to be really fun to play that you think it's going to be really fun but it is stealth based gameplay in a group you play a lot of games with me birds like uh-huh. is this game going to work for us like it is stealth mechanics fun for a cooperative setting i mean well, burn, burn cycle, cycle. <laughs> that was like the when you posed that on the on the thing that was the first question the first thing i came up with because and it works it works similarly when you create noise you roll to see if the noise alerted someone and if if the die comes up with the little boom you know the exclamation exclamation point then you up it to the 
um, noticed phase, I think. There's a different word for it. So it's like a question mark that you put down where your character is at. Um, and then if you actually get seen, then it's an exclamation point that goes down. And that means then that the enemies are going to be like full out coming after you um, that are that are within your range. And it's interesting because there's there's these patrol cards that each of the, that you have for your different mobs, similar to what burn cycle does where you flip a card and then that's the route that they're going to take. But then it gets altered. If there is a question mark out there from one of the players, or if there's an exclamation point, then it goes to the um, murder phase. It goes to the actual like super alert um, patrol phase. Um, in that one, uh, I think there's fewer cards in that deck and one of them is the game over. So basically, you know, snake, snake. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah. So, uh, and, and so it just seems like it's a really cool thing. You're going to have to go into it knowing that you want to do stealth. And then if something gets alerted, you're going to want to take it down. Um, and then you're going to want to hide the bodies <laughs> basically to do it. Each of the characters has different abilities that they have. Um, the main characters are going to be snake uh, Meryl, Otacon, and then Gray Fox. Uh, and so you have that. There's the different types of enemies that you'd be facing within the game. Most of them are kind of your typical grunts. Um, there's cameras that you have to be paying attention to where those are at um, within the map, too. Um, and then, yeah, you have your different bosses. So Sniper Wolf, um, Ocelot, uh, all those from the original game, Psycho Mantis. I'm really interested to see if they do anything kind of crazy with like Psycho Mantis, like what you had to do with the original game, because that would be, I'm trying to think of what a board game representation of that would be, but that just would be take the board, nice. rip it in half <laughs> <laughs> incinerate it. Yeah. Your chair starts vibrating. No, in order to continue, you have to pack the game up and then reset it up. That'd be kind of like pulling out your memory card and yeah. Or putting your uh, controller in the other port. Oh yeah. That's, that's how it was. Yeah. Right? You'll have yeah. to sit on Adam's lap to progress. <laughs> <laughs> Put your memory card in another player's port. <laughs> how, uh, how bad do you want to win this game? Burns? <laughs> no, it's Whatever for the mission. <laughs> and it sounds interesting. And burn cycle is truly a gem and one of my favorite games. I just, I have a little trepidation with this, with mm -hmm. the cameras, with the patrols. It's like, Will it really all come together? You get to hide in a cardboard box, which is the power fantasy that we all love from that game. And that mini, the mini that they have for it. So yeah, each of the characters and each of the enemies are miniatures. I mean, of course, it's Simon. It's a game. Yeah. They're going to have yeah. miniatures. Um, with the pre-order, you get a massive Metal Gear Rex miniature. So I'm really hoping I can get my hands on that. Not that I really need it. But oh, that you need it. Kind of cool because um, it, it is like you know, yay big, like Classic five six Simon. inches big. Yeah, or come on, or but whatever. It's not they like are. it's not like. It's only $100 for, for the set that comes with that. Okay. Which, I mean, you're looking at what Galactus alone was oh like $500 God, yeah, for the Marvel yeah. Zombies. And the Cthulhu one before that yeah. was and so it's, yeah. so it's not it's not crazy expensive like those were. But then again, those are like massive models too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and they didn't take it to Kickstarter because it's already a pre-designed game. They didn't have anything to add other than the Metal Gear Rex model. It's like, well, it's pre-order, $100. Otherwise, I think at retail, it's going to be 60 or 70 Huh. Have at it. So interesting. So yeah, it looks it, it looks intriguing to me. I'd be interested to see if this does really well. If they go to the well again and make MGS two, um, and if they keep kind of going down the line, 
I'd, I'd be especially interested in how an MGS3 board game would be, just with like the actual like food in hunting mechanics and stuff in that game. I think that would be really neat. And um, then for MGS4, it's just an app-based game where you just watch a movie for four hours. <laughs> <laughs> that would be good. That'd be the infinite troll, right? That would be perfect. So I don't know. Uh, I, I'm I'm super intrigued. I've been I've been excited for it. It fell off the radar for a while, but it's coming back, and uh, I'm interested to play it. It's one of those that you can play solo, um, and so it, it's it's something where if I can't get somebody, to, if I can't get people together to play through the entire game, I might play through it solo and then pick out what are the most fun missions and then play those with people. Um, cause I think trying to go through 14 scenarios with the same group of people, um, would be something that would be difficult for a game like this. Cause I also kind of, I can, I kind of see what you're saying in that. I don't know. It would be kind of a no, fun novel approach to play a couple of missions and a couple of boss fights with the same group, but trying to play through all of it with the same group, I feel like that would kind of wear on you a little bit. I just have to say, uh, within the last 24 hours, uh, playing a game solo has come out of both Tom and Joe's mouth, so I feel like my job here is done. Uh, oh, getting... just wait. Just wait until we get to my final big topic. Yeah. So, You're going to be super proud. Man. I know. So it's like it's uh, sometimes you feel weird about it, but honestly, it's a great way to get through a game, and it's still like just as enjoyable, I think. The weird thing for me with the game that you're talking about was like not talking while playing the game. It's like yeah. I'm just moving my pieces. I'm doing the things. I'm like, this is the strangest board game experience for me because like uh, – uh, you guys have the joy of playing games with me. There's always a commentary. I always have something to say about something. Yes. I mean, you can talk to yourself. Yeah. Oh, I did. I was just trying not to sound like a crazy person on the podcast. Thanks <laughs> oh, for calling me out. <laughs> that was Metal Gear Solid, the board game. Pre-orders are available now. You don't have to do a big, fancy, expensive crowdfunding campaign for it. <clears throat> Next up, we go back to Adam with Dragon Eclipse, published by Awaken Realms, known for the Nemesis games. Designed by, uh-oh, uh, Camille Sanex Siesla? Sure. Yeah. Sounds good. Uh, they've also designed The Great Wall, Tamashi, Chronicle of Ascend, Siege Storm, Siege Mode, and Bees, The Secret Kingdom. The theme for this is a collective, collectible card game in a box. And uh, then reviewing the crowdfunding campaign, I'm like, I don't know what this thing is. Like, okay, it's card-based. <laughs> Yeah. The end? Like, w- what is Dragon Eclipse, and why are you excited for it, Adam? Yep, so I'm a child of the 90s, so I grew up with Pokemon, um, and this is really, like, Awakened Realms' attempt at, like, uh, I, I don't want to say adult, because it's not, like, 18+, plus, but, like, a more mature-themed uh, Pokemon style, but it's kind of interesting, because I say more mature, and then it's, like, honestly, the dragons are kind of, some of them are kind of cutesy in it, so the ones you start with, so. Oh, I love cutesy murder dragons, man, yeah, I'm in. so, and that's what they are, they're cutesy murder dragons, but, um, yeah, so, it's, it's weird, because I, like, I, I, I got hung up also talking, before we started recording again, because I was telling you about this whole CCG in a box thing, so. Well, the deluxe edition comes with foil packs, right? Like, correct. that's, a, that's mean, an important thing. Can you just the word boosters. Can you go to the store and buy these boosters and, like, really amplify your experience? Right, so no. So, first of all, the, the CCG element isn't really a CCG element, which, I don't so know. So, it's just a CG, just a card game. They're correct. They're just using it as a marketing thing to Ex- try to give you what the feel of the game exactly is, right? so the disney's and i'm gonna Lorcana. thank you yes came out about the same time and and when that came out and it hit and it was so hot and it still kind of is but i feel like it's maybe pe- petered out a little bit Lorcana is so hot right now yes um 
I've seen every board game. I think every other board game on crowdfunding campaigns had like, oh, and these cards come in a booster pack for no reason at all. <laughs> so like the best way to describe this is the card, the the cards that come in the boosters are supposed to be unlocks as you're like leveling and evolving your dragons. And then they're like elemental boosts that you can use in the game. So let's take a step back here. So it's a one to two player game, mostly kind of one of those solo focused games. You can bring someone along with if, if you know, you want to, and it's going to be like a, the best way I can think of it. So games I've talked on the podcast before would be Hoplomachus, which is you're building your team of gladiators in that one but then you mix it with like tainted grails like story mode so it's kind of like a choose your own adventure with like tactical battles is kind of how it plays out to be it sounds awesome so you're going to be like trying to find monsters and then you can catch those monsters and like you're literally like building a pokedex i guess is the best way to call it but you're like no it's a it's a clips decks yeah you're you're like you're archiving you're archiving dragons i know i know but i mean that's what it is though like that's what it is and so it's like you're you're like archiving the dragons and then you're able to evolve them and build them and then where the interesting thing comes into play is it's all there's no like dice rolling or card flipping in terms of like combat it's all determine determine i forget the exact word but like determine combat like you're not gonna say okay well hopefully i roll uh three four or five on this one to make this work it's like i'm going to do this and it's going to do this effect but what changes is the different dragons you bring have like either a unique cards to them or element an, an element in which you can add to your deck so then you're constructing your deck as like kind of the the leveling mechanic in the game and so you can then what cards you're flipping out changes and then how long those cards and elements are out on the battlefield can affect the different effects that you can then trigger so it's like a mix of so it's like kind of like a deck builder yep. as you're getting the different dragons yep. and then that adds items that you can add into your kit as you yep. go through it yep and then it's going to be on a grid based combat map just like Hoplomachus and every arena has different elements just like Hoplomachus so it just felt very Hoplomachus meets Tainted Grail because then the decisions you make in the game can actually affect the endings Okay, and like it can also make some people maybe fight you or help you down the line so like the decisions you make have an effect on the rest of the game so you are consulting this giant booklet of what's going on in your story and so it's like a campaign then like how long would the game be it's a campaign so like each session i think they said is like 60 to 90 minutes you can play through and then there's like save modes kind of like after Mm -hmm. each one of those and that's kind of where it comes back to a ccg in a box isn't 100 real because as you're unlocking those whether you have the deluxe copy that you're opening boosters or you have the normal retail copy at the end of that all those cards that you're unlocking still just go back into the same cardboard envelopes as everyone else that uh-huh. bought the game, whether you have deluxe or not. Got so, it. so if uh, um, how how many different sessions would it be to get through like a a run of it? Yeah, because um, you said it's like sixty to ninety minutes. They, they for say one. they say sixty, and I think when one of the reviews I was watching it, like they said it like maybe a little on the low side for them, which. Probably maybe as you play more, it was a demo. Mm-hmm. I don't remember specifically that's how fine. many locations. I'm I trying was just to look curious. here. Like, yeah, okay. I mean the adventure journal is over 200 pages. Okay. 
So it's pretty extensive. I'm going to guess it's, and probably, it's probably got a tree where you make a decision. It goes one direction. So yeah. another playthrough, you could go the other way. Like, kind an, of thing. like an educated estimate would be, I, I would guess probably that 20 to 30 hour mark, just okay. like Tainted Grail is supposed to take. Okay. Now, given for me, it's like, I'm not going to hit that 20 to 30 hour mark on Tainted Grail because I'm taking way longer. Uh-huh. Um, but, but yeah, I'm going to guess it's right in that realm of... Right in that awakened realms oh, realm of, see what of you did game there. there so. It's weird. So you said CCG in a box, and your description went completely the opposite direction of where I was going. I instantly thought when you said CCG in a box, I thought Millennium Blades. And I yes. was like, oh, is this like a new Millennium Blades? That no. would be awesome. No, I think Millennium Blades is going to be untouched, honestly. Yeah. like That is just a, such a unique game. So that is literally like a CCG simulation simulation game we've talked about it on the podcast at one point i think i don't remember it when we were reviewing the game weekend the one time yeah yeah. if we want okay let's just do a tangent quick because why not everyone so so millennium blades is a ccg in a box so you have all these different like sets just like any ccg would be yep and and the funny thing is is all of the sets are actually spoofs on other nerd culture so Mm -hmm. there's like a mario themed one there's like a Yu-Gi-Oh themed one there's Yu-Gi-Oh. yeah all all sorts of stuff magic Uh and and whatever but basically you have like a card shop and it and it's probably one of the only real-time games i enjoy real time is probably one of my least favorite game mechanics yet this lives in my collection i have the all-in at this point you should play xcom that was great no i i have played xcom and it was not great um i played xcom at gen con in like a paid for session and it was like oh well that i don't know if that dollar was worth it uh that's how much i like xcom even sadly though i love the the game but now we're really in the weeds here um but anyway so you have like this shop so you have these like timed phases where like okay for so long you're buying cards but everyone has so much money and it's real time so like i okay i'm buying this pack so i put it down and i grab the top card but then everyone else just has to kind of rush to if that's like a pack they want or like because on the back of the pack it gives you like some kind of hint at what could be in that pack and you're basically looking for like rare and mythic cards to build up like technically the simulation is you are flipping a card over for your pack and it's only the rare card in there but obviously like some rares are better than others so you're trying to find your theme and everyone builds different theme decks because it's like you're really opening packs it's like simulating that draft night you're gonna have these hodgepodge put together decks and then the second phase is you actually play a tournament so you guys all battle each other and then you place in your tournament just like a ccg tournament would and then you carry that on through three rounds and at the end whoever has the most tournament points is the grand champion it's a super neat unique game and if you have an affinity for any sort of collectible card game i think it's i think it's a really fun game to play millennium blades i should check that out (laughs) yeah uh, we what were, were we talking about? Dragon, Dragon Eclipse. Dragon Eclipse. <laughs> yeah, so it's not a CCG in a box. Um, that's my blanket statement that's there. Like the, that's that's the, the style of game, kind of what it is, a little bit. A CCG? some of those feelings. I would say no, it's more of a campaign. Like the booster thing is just a pure gimmick to sell it, oh, I feel it. like okay. it was. yeah, Marketing tactic. Correct. It's definitely, it's definitely more of a, a solo or co-op. And when I say co-op, like one other person kind of tactical adventure yeah. game marketing people scum of the earth right correct no no the writers are great <laughs> <laughs> i peddle in honesty and uh and integrity. sketchy links yeah um adam do you think this game is something that a new player could jump into or do you need some sort of familiarity with a more campaign based game um 
I think people will probably be able to jump into this one easier than some of their other ones. So I think this one, well, and it's hard to say because I haven't played it yet, but um, maybe like when I receive it and I can play it, I'll compare it to Tainted Grail because like Tainted Grail, I would love to also compare that to the new Tainted Grail that they supposedly streamlined. I, I want to kind of compare to see what they seem like, but I think they have a really good formula for their whole like decision making in their booklets. And I think it's just all about that optimizing of like kind of the, the grind that happens in these games is like, okay, so what really does it entail to like get from point A to point E? Cause it's never point A to B in these games. It's point mm -hmm. A to E for your first quest. And I will sprint directly to Z. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, I definitely overshot and went to W I think in Tainted Grail, the first playthrough that I did. So um, that was like a big hindrance of me backtracking. But um, I think this is probably more of a step up into that a little bit if you if you don't a have a gamer in your family that can help you walk through it or b like you're just like getting into games you're like well i want to i like pokemon like and i want to play this it's like i think it probably could be manageable but i guess jury's out for now because the game isn't released that's sure. why it's on the new year's new games podcast yeah. that's dragon eclipse by awaken realms next we're going to discuss mr president second edition bernsey you put this one up it's published by gmt games designed by gene billingsley who designed mr president rise of the luftwaffe silver bayonet next war the theme, Mr. President is a solitaire game about governing as the President of the United States in the early 21st century. It's about advancing your agenda while navigating ongoing crises, political enemies, public opinion, your relations with Congress and the press, and keeping your country secure. Mr. President is a resource management game where you never have enough resources to achieve your entire agenda. Why are you excited for this single-player experience? Yeah, and so this is something I found, uh, as I mentioned to you in person, or maybe it was both of you. Yeah, it was both of you when we were planning on what we were going to play when we got together to play board games the other day. Um, that I'd started, I'd been watching, um, I'd been watching videos on playthroughs of John Company again and kind of getting the hankering of that. And that... You know, kind of like a lot of uh, gateway drugs led me down to a, a full playthrough of Mr. President. And when I say full playthrough, um, this is <laughs> it's uh, he only played through the first two years. And that was uh, about 12 hours of videos. You watch somebody play a solitary board game for 12 hours. So friends. the one thing they did is they did it as two players. Um, so he was the president, but then his friend was like the advisor. So he was helping with doing some of the roles and helping just sort of back and forth on making decisions and what's a good thing to do now, which helped make it a lot more watchable, uh, for sure. Um, so Mr. President, the, the reasons why I'm interested in this game is I, one of the game ideas that I've had in my head, um, is somewhat related to this, though it wasn't a solo game. It was more of a multiplayer focused cooperative game, um, that I still might dabble with at some point when I, if I decide to actually try to make, um, you know, a prototype of a board game. So that was one thing that really interested me. And uh, the presidency is also something that's a topic that I just think is super interesting. Um, as much as I've hated politics over the last 10 plus years and the way that it's gone, uh, I still think that just sort of the idea of trying to manage this massive scale of 
like things that you have to wrap your head around as like the president uh, of or the leader of the free world, I guess is the best way to put it, uh, is super is super interesting to me. GMT Games is a company that publish basically like strategic war games. That's kind of the majority of what they make. Um, and this is a little bit of a departure from that, but it's very much like their like their like like their sort of the rest of their library. So the board is basically uh, made up of three different areas. The right side of the board is the rest of the world. And so it's broken up into eight regions. And you're basically then tracking what's happening in all of those different parts of the world. So it's basically XCOM. It's 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 kind of like it's kind of like that. And so what's going to happen is as the game progresses, there's going to be sort of the game activation portions that are going to cause random events to skyrocket. So there could be a civil war in the Middle East and then there could be other tensions that are going up. There could be an economic crisis that causes um, crisis to go up across all these different areas. And so each area has kind of a uh, bar along the bottom, which is showing how in crisis that region is in. And then a bar along the t along the left side, which is showing basically um, how the United States is contributing to the stability in that region and then that region's sort of alignment. So like how much is that is that region aligning with the rest of the world, like the global sort of area or is it kind of spiraling into its own affairs and its own problems? Um, and so you're managing all of that. On the left side, you're also managing how your development is going with DARPA initiatives compared to China and Russia. So China and Russia are kind of like the two big bads in this game that you're playing against. And they're going to be doing, they have, each of them will have one to two actions per year where they're going to do all sorts of things. They'll do cyber attacks against the United States. They'll try to add, add their influence into regions with the hope that they're going to build military bases in those regions. Um, and then each of them kind of has a state where if they get enough influence out there, they're, they're going to end the game for you. Yeah. Um, at the bottom of that left side, you also then have all of these sort of different conflicts um, that could be happening within the world. So it's going to be like Pakistan and India. It's going to be uh, North Korea and South Korea. It's going to be Russia and Ukraine. And it's all like whether they're at war or stable and then which so what the balance of power is kind of between those two sides. Um, and then the middle of the board is you managing your cabinet and then managing um, what you're doing with Congress to try to pass the bills that you need to pass in order to sort of match what the public's agenda is, what the public wants out of it, and what your campaign promises were. And so the entire game ends up being this balancing act. Um, when you activate, you're going to get the chance to have your vice president, Chief of Staff, Secretary of State, and then Secretary of Defense take actions. Um, those are kind of randomly drawn. You get to like select out of three of them for all of them, except for the VP is picked for you. And then they'll have varying abilities to what they're good at. If they're good at diplomacy, if they're good at the domestic agenda, if they're good at military. Um, and so then those are all going to be modifiers when you have to do roles for their actions. And then there's a card of presidential actions that you can take. Uh, military actions, domestic act, or uh, yeah, domestic actions, and then um, uh, diplomatic actions that you can take kind of on all these turns. And then there's going to be 
just random events that will happen at different times that'll be crisis cards that get drawn that could be natural disasters it could be tensions raise, rising in different regions um, all sorts of a terrorist attack in the United States uh, all sorts of different things that you have to sort of just sort of roll with some of those are one and dones and some of those are going to progressively come back out and get worse as you go through the game Holy cow, Burns! I can see that you're visibly excited for yeah, this game. Like it, you have insane. a big smile right now. You're really fired up with this, and it's undeniably interesting. And it sounds like a lot to manage. the The immediate issue that I feel with this game, we've been talking about uh, fantasy. We've been yeah. talking about space. We've been talking about cutesy little murder dragons. Now you're taking a big dose of real life and like yeah. all the problems in the world. It's like, I think. For me, for my board game taste, like I like the escapism. I like mm-hmm. a different setting. Like I don't know if I want to be stressing over situations in the Middle East more than I already do in my day-to-day life. So, but haven't you ever thought, Tom, I could do a better job than this person? No, like, not really. No, no. <laughs> not in the political sense. No, I'm like, uh, it's almost like being a cop for me. It's like I'm glad there are people that are wired to do those jobs because, mm-hmm. like, I do not want to. I don't. I don't want to be involved with it other than doing my civic duty and voting. Yeah. Uh, no, I can understand that. And, I mean, the theme in general isn't going to be for everybody. The gameplay style probably is not going to be for everybody. But I think for people that are really interested in uh, that level of uh, – or interested in that topic or that theme um, and have some board gaming experience, this would not be something that anybody could – oh, it's my introduction to board games. Yeah. I'm going to pull yeah. up this, this game that – so – just to give you an example, so you play the game over four turns. Each turn is a year, basically, right? And each year is made up of four segments. Um, and each of those segments can have eight to ten different things that happen throughout that segment. Plus, then there's a beginning of the year phase and an end of the year phase where different things are going to happen. You're trying to gain uh, legendary points and you're trying to gain public approval as you go through the game, and those are kind of the win conditions. The loss conditions are if certain wars happen, or if China or Russia get too much influence, um, uh, or or if somehow you get impeached, uh, which which is a possibility also uh, in the game. And so, uh, but it's just like yeah, this balancing act of trying to manage all of these different things. Um, the easy mode. So the playthrough I watched through, they played the first two years of easy mode and they actually won at the end of the second year. Um, but then normal mode is a much more (laughs) daunting beast. Um, and there's also a hard mode that, uh, I think the developers said they don't think anybody's actually beaten it. So, (laughs) but it's just, it's just super interesting to me. This is the type of game that it's like, I would set up and have it set up on my table and whittle away at it for quite a while um, and just sort of see what craziness happens. And that's that's intriguing to me. Yeah, I think I'm on the fence on this one. So, like, I'm with you, Tom. Theme-wise, kind of seems like a snooze fest. Uh, <laughs> Mechanics-wise and, like, the interactions you're talking about, it's like I get, yeah. I get super excited about stuff like that, too. Like, uh-huh. like because I'm that, I don't know mentally ill person that it's just like okay so this reaction then causes this reaction which yeah. then causes this reaction then you have to choose and if you choose the wrong thing it's gonna cause six more reactions yeah. and i'm like oh i want that game right <laughs> yeah. like i love that mental burn after like a weekend and you know i always joke with like nicole and she's like well geez have you had your fill yet you just played four days of board gaming i'm like oh, i could probably use a nap and then i could get back at it again <laughs> uh-huh. like, like i just i love I love to flex my brain per se, mm-hmm. I guess. So like 
that whole thing is super interesting. But yeah, I mean, as a person who kind of like really stays away from politics and doesn't mm-hmm. like politics it's like oh the theme could potentially kill it for me but i think the real question for me is do they have the most important crisis in the game of a pandemic which then causes board game prices to increase <laughs> <laughs> yeah tell us about your board game policy Burns. <laughs> yeah <laughs> let's get to the real nitty-gritty of the presidency um, here <laughs> i haven't seen a crisis that's come up specifically that's that but i would bet there's something in the game um and so yeah and this is the second edition of the game the first edition came out this year um and the reason why they decided when they were going to do their their new their kind of new run of printing it um at that point they had had like 27 pages of errata just to sort of fix some of the wording and some of the other things and faqs and stuff like that so they decided to go back in redo all of the charts and the tables that you roll on for all these different actions and i mean this is it's extensive so like when you get to Russia's turn, it's an entire little booklet that mm-hmm. you go through that explains, okay, is this happening? Okay, then Russia does this. Is this happening? Okay, then Russia does this. If not, you go to the next thing. And it's just like kind of goes down through that pathway to sort of see what their focus is. Um, and it's just it's just a super neat game. Um, you have action points. That's kind of your main thing. And some of the bigger actions that you do or most consequential actions will cost one of those action points. Um, otherwise, you can spend those to re-roll a die. And so it really comes into this whole thing as you're going through a year. You start the year on easy mode with 20 action points, 15 on normal mode. And so it's really this balance. You can earn some as you go through the year if you do things really well. Um, But otherwise, it's like, do I spend an action point to prevent this negative thing from happening? Or is this role important enough that I put more time and thought into this? Or do I just let this sort of go and try to like really make things right down the road. Uh, it's just really interesting aspects to the game that I think is going to make it super interesting, especially on a replay too, as some of the things change and some of the aspects of the game change. I'm glad that I've established some cred on the show and that mm-hmm. I back my first things. I can say with near 100% certainty that I'm not going to read a booklet for Russia's turn. <laughs> I, I'm just not going to do that. You don't have um, to read it. You just go through, okay, is Russia here? All right. All right, they do this action. There's the roll for it. I hear a couple shots of vodka make it a lot more like <laughs> yes. clear on yeah. what they're trying to do. Yeah, I think uh, playing this as a computer game is much more my speed. Like, I hear yeah. you reading the description burns. I'm like, I just, I would never play this over PS5. Like, if I have solo time, like, I will play something on the PS5 over Mr. President, uh, which is interesting to me because I hear you talk about John Company. I'm like, I want that. And it's like yeah. the interaction, like the... Yep. The multiplayer board gaming is such a social thing for me. I still have a hard time wrapping my head around single player board games. Yeah. Yep. Give me give me this game in a space where like instead of countries it's planets. Uh-huh. Like and I feel like it would have been all You'd for be sold. it. Yeah. Yep. And I don't know how I take that cuz sometimes I'm with you, but other times I'm like I don't know what this place is. Like there's this isn't grounded in anything for me. It's like when uh, George R. R. Martin did everything outside of Westeros. Mm-hmm. I don't care at all. Like I want to know what happens between the Starks and the Lannisters. So I'd be interested to see if I could get into a space theme version of this, or if I'd just be lost because I don't care about the other places I'm not aware of. Or a fantasy themed version of it, maybe too, right? Yeah. Um, or just settle in Westeros, give it a yeah. GOT skin. And I'm in. (laughs) But ultimately, yes, this game, I mean, and the first edition has like an 8.5 on Board Game Geek. So, you know, the people that like these types of games, like, like it quite a bit. Um, But it's a heavy game, so it's not for everyone. Um, And it's a long 
pretty much mostly solo game. You can play it with another person and sort of tag team on decisions. So basically, um, you need a space to set this up and leave it up for some, because like yes. nobody's gonna sit down and just like I'm gonna I'm gonna burn through Mr. President's Second Edition today. <laughs> Most likely not. Like, and once you've played the game a bit, you probably can go a lot faster than like what they're doing as they're talking about everything. Um, the video when he set the game up for the first time and explained it as he was going through it was an hour and a half. Um, now, granted, when you actually set that up and you're not talking to people and interacting with a chat, you know, that's that's uh, not necessarily going to be the case. But if you're at all a little bit intrigued with how the game plays or how the game sounds, I'd recommend checking out the heavy cardboard series mm-hmm. where they play Mr. Mr. President because it's a really interesting it's a really interesting um, way to view it. Um, and they do a really good job of talking about it as they're playing it and um, you know, they get into the game quite a bit, which yeah. also helps a lot. So I'd highly recommend that. They also have like the designer and some of the developers on the game in the chat off and on yep. to help like throw some stuff into there too. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I, I would definitely recommend checking that out if you're interested. They're, they're longer videos, but you get the you get the gist after watching a bit of it of how the game flows and what happens and how crazy it can be at times. I'm not going to do that. I know you're not. <laughs> but okay. this is for the listeners, the the maybe one listener out there that actually is intrigued by what I'm saying. But I would say I'd watch you stream this. Like I would if you stream this on Twitch, I I would be interested and I'm I am interested in how it goes for you and like mm-hmm. how moving the different levers impacts the game. That's Mr. President second edition by GMT games. And the interesting thing about this is it's not crowdfunded. They're doing it as a, they have a system on GMT where it's uh, basically pre-orders, but it's basically once they get enough of the pre-orders, then they will actually start the printer for it. Um, and so they're building up the pre-orders. It's supposed to come out sometime this year. I think the development is mostly done on the fixes for a lot of the rules changes and stuff like that. Well, that sounds even more irritating than crowdfunding. Like, I have an idea when Ascendancy is coming. I have an idea when Planet Unknown. Imagine being number one in line for Mr. President's second edition. It's like, all right, let's pre-order this. Let's put our money in. And it's like, oh, it's going to come sometime. Okay, well, when a thousand more people sign up. All right, there's five. All right, 25. If you're number one, you're uh, probably already got first edition you're playing. Right, right. Because along with the first, you know, they're also doing an update pack for the first edition, which is new pamphlets. And then a couple of like the newly changed cards to replace. So they do have that in there also. I'm guessing it's something that they will probably put into print production in the first, first like three, four months of the year and probably come out uh, summertime, I'm guessing. Mr. President, second edition. Next, we're going to discuss Nemesis Retaliation. There's another game that Adam put up, again, by Awaken Realms. Are you, uh, is Awaken Realms approaching chip theory games in your heart here, Adam? Like, what's going on here? It, yeah, I mean, we can pretty much skip this because I don't think there's any alien fans that listen. So. No, no, probably not. And everyone yeah. who likes alien is yeah, stupid, Pat. Exactly. <laughs> no, um, I would say Awakened Realms is definitely in the upper echelon of uh companies that i enjoy i trust i like their style um so it's like in a world of rockiness and crowdfunding um they're kind of a safe bet for me is one thing which we'll touch on more a little bit later um but i think they do a good job and like i think tainted grail so i have a lot of their games i was actually i backed their very first board game they ever did nemesis i skipped um i've 
now that they seem to be making a lot more, I've skipped a little, some of their other little ones, but I own a lot of actually Awakened Realms games already, if not most of them. Um, I think I only skipped like two or three maybe at this point. Um, and I think Tainted Grail just really this last year punched them up a lot higher because as soon as I saw that those interactions and every time I talk about it, I feel like I get goosebumps on, mm-hmm. on how well they can tell a story and make you feel like you're in that story, trying to figure it out for yourself. Um, and, and I know this isn't that style of game, but um, I've played Lords of Hellas as well, which is kind of a one-off scenario style game. And I've enjoyed that. And I like their themes and they just, they just do a good job. So if it's not broken, don't fix it, I guess. And Nemesis Retaliation is designed by Adam Kwapinski, who has also designed Heroes, Lords of Hellas, in between Nemesis and Nemesis Lockdown. The theme is like Nemesis, only you're highly trained Marines with the latest tools to deal with a horde of aliens. Uh, Nemesis is a game where you you wake up on a spaceship, there's an alien infestation, and you have a secret agenda that you're trying to accomplish. And you play uh, generic spaceship people. You could be a doctor, the captain... Uh, different roles that you would imagine on a sci-fi ship. Yep. Nemesis Retaliation has a Board Game Geek rating of 8.1. What has you excited for this third iteration on the Nemesis formula? Yeah, so I think to explain my excitement, a little bit has to go back to the origins of my interest in this genre. So um, go back to like tw- 2013 era, like as crazy as that is, like 10 years ago. So I was, I was playing... Um, War Machine and Hordes, uh, so like miniature combat, kind of like Warhammer. Um, and Privateer Press kind of tried their first venture back into board games. They had done some like little party game style games, but they tried their first hand at kind of like a big board game outside of their like War Machine style uh, IP. And they came out with level seven. So they had level seven, um, which is kind of the equivalent of the original Nemesis in Lockdown. And then they came out a couple years later with level seven Omega Protocol, which is probably the equivalent of what Retaliation is going to be. The sad thing is, is I was like all about it. Privateer Press fanboy at the time bought it and it was like, wow, this is really the best you can do. Like it just, (laughs) it didn't feel good playing it. And it just, there was just a lot of problems in my opinion with it and I got rid of that game and, and it kind of put a sour taste in my mouth. So then when Nemesis came out, I'm like, well, I've been there, done that, right? And this is still earlier in Awakened Realms, like reputation, I would say, mm-hmm. when the original came out. So original came out, you know, could be argued as one of their best ever games. It might be rated one of their highest games. I'm, I can't remember. It's a good game. It's, it's very good, yeah. Lockdown came out, passed up on it again. And then I think when they finally said, okay, retaliation coming, it's this. It was like all those like old school feelings of like, oh, what I wanted level seven to be um, kind of kicked in. And I started doing more research on it. I watched tons of playthroughs of the original because I hadn't had an opportunity to play the original or lockdown yet. So I was like trying to figure out because they kind of say you really don't need both. Like they serve a very similar purpose. And then retaliation is this whole new iteration of like, instead of just trying to like kind of escape out of facility 
facility and survive, you're like going in with the heavy ammo and stuff, and it's like you got your murder dragons. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if they have murder dragons yet in it, but um, probably a flamethrower though. Most likely, close enough. Yeah. So like, <laughs> I guess to get get like explain a, a little bit on it is like um, retaliation is more of a co-op based so they're they all have that like trader mechanic mm-hmm. which i really really like um i feel like i'm all over the place with this because I'm, I'm actually super excited for this game in series um and so uh there's like this one it's harder to be a trader from what i hear from what i was watching and the reviews because you're going in and you're literally just trying to wipe out the nest mm-hmm. so the cool thing that they changed with this one for for anyone that knows about the original nemesis and lockdown games is you have kind of a set map in the the previous games like this is your ship you don't know what the rooms are in what order they are but this is the ship or this is the facility the rooms are random this actually has this whole deck where you're drawing and it's changing how the corridors actually corridors actually interact and how many there are so it can it can change the structure of the game itself so you can't always know okay we can go down two rooms and go to the left and there's going to be a room there that's the engine room or whatever you know what i mean like you you don't have that certainty of how many corridors are coming off of a room and that really plays into when you're rolling for noise in this game. It's not noise. Like, they can actually hoard. So, like, instead of just, like, one, you know, alien or, or baby coming out in the original games, you'll have swarms. So, you'll have it to where, like, you have multiple aliens popping up in the corridors. And then you have options of when they're in the corridors, you can basically just, like, spray and pray and mm-hmm. just, like, unload your guns down corridors and see how many you can wipe out. But once they start getting into the rooms is when you have to start being more precise on your firing and stuff like that. So they have this, like, kind of cool attacking interaction. And really what you're trying to do is go in and wipe out the aliens and leave. So you're, you've are you kind of gone from the survivor to the, the company that's mm-hmm. going into, like... Cleaning erratic, crew. Yeah, yeah, the cleaning crew of, of Nemesis. So that's that. What's intrigued me is it has that really cool, fun co-op of let's go in and just shoot some aliens. And then while I was there, it's like the prices were so good on the campaign. I'm like, well, this is my opportunity to pick up either the original or lockdown. So that's when that strung the whole like I'm gonna watch a ton of playthroughs, and I did. I watched, I I probably watched 20 hours of playthroughs of the original game in lockdown between the two, trying to figure out well. Long story short, I then took an hour to like analyze my cart of like the bundle deals versus just pick like hand picking a la carte the individual stuff. Mm. Ended up being a hundred dollar difference. And I said, "Why am I wasting my time?" So yeah, I bought the whole trilogy. <laughs> uh, you can always sell the one that you don't want. Right? It, it, that's what I figured. Or you know, in this case, maybe you know, just hand it off to Tom as he's already noted once that he yeah, will I'll take, take the my garbage. Seconds, yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, but yeah, I'm I'm super excited for it, and, and I think. I don't know, honestly, if I'm more excited for Retaliation or if I'm finally super excited for the original, like, games after watching them played. Because the original games, to me, like, with having that trader mechanic, make some of the best memories in board games. Like, I always think back to, like, Battlestar Galactica. that I played that finally (laughs) for the first time with Joe at one of the board game weekends two years ago. I think it was so fun because it's like I blamed one of my best friends, like childhood friends, the whole time, like, you're a traitor, you're a traitor, you're a traitor. He wasn't a traitor. Uh Uh, I can empathize with them. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like, it's fun, though. And I think Nemesis does it to a very tactical or tactful way in terms of like 
he they might not be a traitor against everyone, but I'm just trying to kill Tom or I'm just trying to kill Joe. So yeah. it's like not everyone necessarily has to be against that either. But I have a great example of that. We were playing it with Dunham. It was me and Pat and Dunham, and we had the three of us were playing, and I suspected that Dunham had a traitor thing, and he was. He was trying to sabotage the engines. And I go and I check the engines. I'm like, oh, good. He's He set us all to die. We were able to convince him he had two options. He either had to blow up the ship or he had to kill the queen. Uh, and uh, like once I realized he was a traitor... We were making moves to try to eradicate the queen. He's like, well, if you can guarantee that we kill the queen by this turn, I'm with you. But if we, if we don't, I'm blowing the ship up and I'm at least going to win. And it, it just created a really interesting moment because, like, uh, in Battlestar, if you're a Cylon, you're a Cylon. You get revealed, you go up to the ship, and you start just hammering uh, Galactica. In Nemesis, you have the freedom to pursue your objectives in different ways. So, yep. like... Uh, Win conditions can be directly opposed. Like, player A, Burns might need to go to Mars to win the game. I might need to go to Earth. There's no way we can both satisfy those win yeah. conditions. But other times, like, Adam had the nuance to either kill the queen or blow up the ship. And it's like, well, early in the game, it looked like blowing up the ship was going to be the only option. But once we start clearing some of the aliens out, it's like, oh, well, maybe we could all get a shared victory. But there's a caveat with it, and it wound up working out. But I... That particular playthrough of Nemesis always sticks with me. So, I don't know. I have... I'm probably, out of all of us that have played Nemesis, the most lukewarm out of the crew. Um, Like, I've enjoyed playing it to an extent. Uh, I just feel like there's so many... You have to choose which of your two objective cards you're going to go towards. Sometimes so early on. And it's really, especially if you're coming into the game without really knowing completely how the game functions, it can make it really difficult on you to try to determine that. So, for instance, the last time I played, I think it was I needed to get like eight different equipment cards or something like that. I didn't realize how hard it was to actually find equipment. Um, And I had to make that decision basically when it was so early in the game, it was between that and like one other card. Um and you know is it fair to say that you struggled because pat is a terrible teacher of this game i don't think it's that i think it's just there's so I'm many pretty different sure things that. to jump into <laughs> um i'd also argue i really don't think this game is a cooperative game with a trader mechanic i believe this game is a competitive game where sometimes your uh, your objectives align yeah because ultimately you're out to just finish what one of your two things on your card um and that's that and that might match up with multiple players you might be the only one and that might actually be like you said diametrically opposed to what the other person or other people need to have happen um and there's you know that's hidden the objective's hidden you start to get an idea of how that helps a little bit um but it's not necessarily i don't think it's necessarily cooperative sometimes you need other players to save you or help kill somebody else and that might be in you know aligning with their objective to do that or they might just need to hightail it out of there and save themselves right and i think you just identified why i love this game so much oh, sure yeah. because it gives me license to tom around like yeah. tom's got a tom and like nemesis gives me lots of options to do that because like we're not it's not a fully co-op experience that's a really good point burns yeah um and i also find the other problem i always run into with nemesis is that you've got these two personal like quest objectives that'll unlock an item for your character and I think the next time I play, I'm not even going to try for those. And if I stumble into making one of those happen, great. 
because I have spent way too much time in the two two games I've played of it trying to get one of those quests to happen. That at that point I've spent way too much time on that and not enough time on trying to make my objective accomplished. Um, and it's just and so random. So like this last time I needed to find a single room. It was the last freaking room we revealed. And it was, it was just like, yeah. And it's just annoying because if other people are like hunkering down in areas because that's what they need to do, then it's like, okay, I'm just running around the ship trying to find what this, where this one freaking room is. Um, and nobody else really is doing that. And so it's just, I don't know, like that's kind of the, the parts that I stumbled into, um, both times that I played it. I think you just need more Tom in your nemesis burns. Maybe, maybe. Um, also, if the character in the wheelchair gets a leg injury, it shouldn't affect their movement. <laughs> I would agree. We've with run that. into that in both games I've played, and it's sh- like I think that needs to be a permanent house rule that that doesn't affect um, the medics. Medic, right? Is the medic? Yeah. I think or scientist. Scientist in the wheelchair it doesn't affect the scientist movement. Yeah. So I, so I'm curious. You have you guys have only played the original, correct? Correct. Have- uh, I played. I don't remember if it was the original. It was with an addition of it was like these like four things that built up the second time I played. But I not believe lockdown. The original with an expansion that was yeah, especially right. not lockdown. Yes. So, so in my vast amount of research, uh-huh. from what I hear, obviously the original is still competitive because of the theme. A lot of obviously alien nerds gravitate towards being on the spaceship and waking up with yep. amnesia. Right? Like it's cool. Oh, that's awesome. Lockdown from what I hear, might lean more into your favor, where they've buttoned up some of those mechanics, I feel like, that okay. people had problems with previously, and they they went to the facility structure, I think, to make the map a little more friendly. There's ways to wipe out the noise tokens by, like, cycling power. They have more mechanics, and some people say, well, it just overcomplicates it, because then you're also... Like, there's more ways to win and lose, I guess, okay. in lockdown as well. Um, so I'm just maybe wondering if that evolution would help you sway. And maybe you're a lockdown Possibly. guy as opposed to the original. Possibly. And some people like complicated systems. I, I would refer you back to Mr. <laughs> President 2nd Edition. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to run down with the three different panels do again? Well, yeah. And it's funny because <laughs> you, you hear them say it multiple times in the playthroughs, too, where it's like, you know, once you get going, it really is straightforward. Yeah. All right, let's open up. The Russia booklet, and (laughs) here's their seven activations. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. cool. I'll be playing The Witcher. (laughs) Uh, My my big thought on Nemesis Retaliation. Nemesis Retaliation is bring on more Nemesis. I love love the original game. I want to play Lockdown, and I'm really excited that you bought all three versions on them because we do get together fairly often to play games, and uh, I'm always in favor of playing more Nemesis. Yeah, for sure. No, I... I think I sleep better at night. This is me justifying my purchase. Um, (laughs) Knowing that I can kind of like play in two week with all three with the add-ons that I wanted to. So here's what's the interesting thing. So they had a lot of really good bundle deals on this, this latest campaign. And that's what was the struggle was if I wanted lockdown, but I wanted the alien races for Mm -hmm. replayability um, from the original game, which they are compatible I still had to buy the original game's acrylic token upgrade because I'm a sucker for acrylic tokens yeah. because that's where those add-on 
we're we're yeah, at so yeah. it's like okay so it's like i have to buy the original now i have half of the tokens that are actually useful but it's still cheaper to buy it in the bundle pack okay so that's that like yeah. and i sat there weighing it all i'm like this is dumb you. like i literally can just like add so it was like and then they bundled lockdown and the original stretch goals that was one bundle and then they they bundled the original game with the aftermath and the void seekers so not only do you get the original stretch goals which is aftermath but they also gave you the original like faction that was supposed to be free that is has been an add-on for years now and then they had the the bundle with like the new retaliation and stretch goals but then if you bought all three of those bundles combined into a mega bundle you saved even more money so i'm like so by the time i did it it's like by the time i piecemealed it it was only a hundred dollars to add the whole original game which if you look anywhere right now you can't even buy it for that or even close to that so yeah how much how much did that mega bundle run you if you don't mind 20 bucks no the mega yeah 20 bucks joe 20 bucks (laughs) okay nicole shut it off no Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um so with i didn't want everything because i heard kind of the untold stories were a little like mushy on like the mechanics and like that's the soul or that's that's like their campaign campaign thing so like what i ended up doing was i I, the stuff i picked out was i have all of the alien races that i can swap in and out i have all of the kind of like cosmetic like acrylic token upgrades i didn't buy any of the mats because i didn't feel the need for that with the boards Mm -hmm. um but all in it was like 600 and i want to say 30 bucks for three games though for three games so you're averaging about 210 each each. which is about accurate for like the all-in on on any game game. yeah i mean like so and and if you the the interesting is if you like so boardlandia is like i guess i'm plugging them again they run really good sales and like i looked during their black friday sale where they had basically like everything close to like 50 or 45 percent off and at that point you could still just buy the original lockdown for 130 and then you had to add on the stretch goals for another hundred some dollars mm-hmm. it's like and i don't have any of the upgrades or the kickstarter exclusives in yeah. which they're including in this bundle so it's like okay so literally at the best sale of the year it's still more expensive because it's probably going to be about 230 you know to to go that route as opposed to having everything i want if i end up keeping the game so i was like i'm just gonna go with i'm just gonna spend the money now i guess and figure out if tom gets a nemesis game or not so well here's hoping that he does <laughs> <laughs> that's nemesis retaliation by awakened realms now we're going to jump into a lightning round we have a couple more games to talk about we are an hour and 40 minutes into our board game discussion so far so i don't want to spend too long on any of these games but just a couple more things that we're interested in joey you wanted to talk about the witcher path of destiny published by go on board designed by lucas wozniak who did the witcher old world uh the theme Generally described as do Witcher stuff is one of the main Witcher characters. What's got you fired up, Burns? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I mainly backed this because I was bummed that I didn't back the Witcher Old World. I'm bummed you didn't back it too. And it's a completely different game. So, you know, that's a good reason to buy it. Um, Ultimately, though, it paid off because they're going to have the ability to buy everything but the Kickstarter exclusives through the game found when the pledge manager goes up uh, in the next couple of weeks. So I will be able to get... The Witcher of the Old World, or at least see how much that's going to cost compared to, you know, looking at buying it on the secondary market, which was into the uh, all-in nemesis range uh, that Adam was talking about that (laughs) is a a little bit harsher to try to jump into. Quick aside, I might be interested in picking that up if you wanted to split these. 
We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. We that sounds talk. like you're going to buy it, and I'm just going to play your copy, which yeah. I'm also fine with. <laughs> I'll, That's I'll great. Buy it. Yeah. Um, so, um, but it's a hand management and tableau building game, um, but it includes characters from the Witcher video game series. And so uh, it's in association with CD Projekt Red. Um, it has miniatures of Geralt, Yennefer, uh, Ciri, Dandelion, uh, Vesemir. Those are the five main ones. And then they added Triss and a few other characters from the games as sort of the stretch goals as it went through it. Um, and it includes multiple scenarios that are taken from the game. I think it's three were in the base game and then five more, I believe, were unlocked with stretch goals. Stretch goals. So there's eight in total to play through. Um, and it allows you to make different choices through those to end up with a different conclusion, which is kind of neat. And it's very much like if you played through the Witcher games, you can kind of make different choices and that affects how everything plays out. And so it feels like it's going to be an interesting representation of that. And then you're managing your hand of cards to do different actions in order to accomplish things um, to move towards the completion of the objective. And so that's why that's why I was interested in it and I backed it. Yeah, I'm all in for more Witcher stuff. Can't get enough of Geralt. Uh, Adam, your level of interest in The Witcher, Path of Destiny? I'll, I'll play Joe's copy. Um, yeah, I'll play Joe's copy too. Let's yeah, be friends. I, I Let's mean, hang I, out. I reviewed the copy when it came out. It seemed interesting. I was definitely like jamming, you know, in, in with the vibe and stuff like that. But it's just kind of like one of those, like, there are so many games out. Oh, yeah. And you got to be picky. And it just didn't make the cut for me in my collection. I knew Joe was interested. So that was my kind of Hail Mary pass was, well... If Joe gets it, then uh, I guess I don't have to. Yep. So, Adam hates The Witcher with a burning, fiery passion. <laughs> exactly. Uh, next up, I wanted to talk about Planet Unknown Supermoon. This is a reprint of Planet Unknown plus an expansion, Supermoon. It's published by Adam's Apple Games, Aura Games, and Strowman Games. Designed by Ryan Lambert and Adam Rayberg. Uh, basically, it's Space Tetris. Each turn, you draw a tetrahedron and you place it on your own unique player mat you score points based on what you cover i love the core mechanic uh each turn one player is the leader and then it rotates around the board the leader gets to choose what section of the tetrahedrons they want to pick from so they they you have your player mat that you're working to fill up and when you're leader you get to like choose exactly which segment of this spinning repository of tetrahedrons yeah, it's like a lazy susan in the middle of the table yep so the leader chooses which section they're going to choose from and then going clockwise around the table everyone has the sec section that's following them they have to pick one of those two pieces in that section and then the leader rotates and then the new leader gets to choose which one of the sections they want to choose from and i just love that core mechanic because you don't really know what's coming you don't know what your options of the tetrahedrons are going to be you basically just have to make the best of what's uh what's in front of you uh, they're at least when we played the base game, the player mats that you have are asymmetrical, can be asymmetrical. There's one side that is completely symmetrical, everyone's dealing with the same stuff. The back side is asymmetrical, where everyone has their own unique things that they're dealing with, and I really enjoyed that asymmetrical gameplay. Yeah, it was a super neat game when we played that um, this past year at uh, Gaming Weekend, so mm -hmm. um, I'd be interested to see what uh, what all gets added with the expansion. Yeah, I am really excited. This is actually the first game that I ever backed on a crowdfunding platform, and uh, it should be here this summer. One of us. One, One of us. us. One of us. 
Next up, Adam, you wanted to discuss your disappointment in Food Chain Magnet, uh, published by Slaughter and Lucky Duck. I don't know anything about Food Chain Magnet. Yeah, so uh, to give a, a background, I guess, so Food Chain Magnet came out a couple years ago um, by Splatter Games, and it's basically you're running a fast food chain in the 1950s, and the the board is like a map of the neighborhood. So you're like, you know, it'd be the equivalent of like I'm McDonald's, Joe's Burger King, and you're Wendy's, and uh, you're trying yeah, to like suck at Wendy's. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna be Chick Fil A. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, Chick Fil A didn't come on the 50s. Side I of think. hatred with Tom. I so okay. yeah. So so what you're trying but to do Sundays is like, off for football. <laughs> you you run marketing campaigns and stuff like that. So you'd be very familiar with this, Tom. Uh, to try to sway your influence over the neighborhoods on who's buying food from you. So that's that's kind of it's. Uh, very heavy strategic kind of euro style game is what it is so food chain magnet also looks like it was made in the 1950s it's very boring and Mm -hmm. plain pastel colors monopoly style money like no like you know you might look at it it might feel like it dissolves so it's not a fancy game no but for whatever reason it sells for about 100 to 120 dollars um it's a dense box a lot of stuff in there, supposedly. Suppose maybe. well, a it's lot of a lot a of bit. thin paper. So, um, but like the mechanics have always intrigued me. It just didn't look pretty, but I can get past that once in a while. But I never really found the urge to spend that kind of money because that kind of money you could buy. Like for example, what I'm comparing this to is a Lacerda game, which would be like the On Mars, the Gallerist. Like the there's a designer that makes very similar heavy style games much better art mm-hmm. and and components and things like that so i knew that then splatter partnered with lucky duck a completely separate publisher um and they were going to make a deluxified version so now your silly little map with just little thin cardboard and thin paper is now basically like a 3d neighborhood with like actual houses and like marketing things that you can like it's really cool the the interactions they had well, if the game is already at $120 for the paper-thin stuff, the low quality, that legitimately probably cost them $15 to print, I feel like, maybe more these days. Um, but, like, it doesn't cost much for them to make. They're making a killing on the profits of that. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that the publisher is just rolling in the dough. I'm just saying it's an extreme. Um the deluxe copy went for $325 just to give you a a comparison. So now I'm sitting there, it's going on the same time as nemesis. And I'm like, okay, so, and I was like fretting over a hundred dollars for the original game. And now I'm considering spending 300 and some dollars for one game Mm -hmm. with the one expansion that it comes with. They're not really adding a whole lot to the game. They're just deluxifying it, making it look pretty Mm -hmm. and like upgrading the money quality and things like that. Like they're just upgrading the components is really what they're doing. Which has been a popular trend recently with like the, what castles of Burgundy was. Yeah. And awakened realms did that, that deluxifying. Yeah. But, so what's interesting though is also Food Chain Magnet has suffered from some um, stock issues where they're out of stock all the time, and then the price goes really high. That's why I said one hundred to one hundred twenty dollars. Mm-hmm. I don't actually one hundred percent know what it retails for. I think it's one hundred twenty dollars, but there was times where people were paying a lot for it because it was just out of print. So now Lucky Duck is like, well, we're going to deluxify this, make it great. We're going to have it at this price cost. So now you're looking at 325 and a lot of people were like sticker shocked by it because it's like, mm-hmm. this is one game with one expansion for $325. Yeah. That's super expensive. And you're not doing a whole lot to change it. Yeah. Well, then just to add to the, like that, like, 
pressure of the cost, Splatter then got a new print of their crappy looking game and put it for 50% off. So the cheapest the game has ever been. They sold they were selling it for $60 during the Lucky Duck campaign of the Deluxified <laughs> version. And just the whole perfect storm of I really kind of feel icky about this and I have tons of other like mm-hmm. heavy strategy games like From Lacerda and things like that that are in storage. I'm going to pass and I'll just, I guess, well, I, I ended up just going all in on the three trilogy of, of Nemesis and that's what I ended up doing with, with my money. <clears throat> I'm so. excited for how you spent your money. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. And, and, and you know what? I don't regret it one bit after I kind of just told myself, nope, this one had like, I know you've been following this for a long time, but this one just needs to be laid to rest. And I've moved on, and I I haven't lost it. Not that I sleep much, but I haven't lost any sleep over this one. No so. regrets. <laughs> Looking forward to your uh, crowdfunding tips in our top five today, Burnsy. The last thing for our lightning round, you wanted to talk about Marvel Dice Throne X Men and the Missions Co-op, published by Roxy, designed by Gavin Brown, Nate Chantelet, and Manny Tremblay, who did the X Men. Uh, version the theme is battle yahtzee you roll dice and trigger abilities based on the results why are you excited for the new x-men expansion and the missions co-op yeah i mean i'm excited for two reasons one is storm nine playable x-men in the game which is awesome i'm a huge x-men fan and so i'm really looking forward to playing through as them um but the main reason I think that I backed it, even though I like the X-Men a lot, is that the missions co-op expansion uh, is probably the way that I would always want to play this game. Um, it was kind of the reason why I haven't played Dice Throne a ton um, since we got it. I've played it a decent amount, but not a ton. Uh, just because I think it's it's a more interesting way to help other people learn the game if you're playing together, as opposed to... Um, and then granted it's Yahtzee, it's not like it's that hard to pick up how the mechanics work, but it also feels like I'm, you know, clubbing baby seals a little bit. If I know how this game works, I'm playing as a complicated character that's super powerful and I'm just bashing the heck out of them. And then it's just like, yeah, you just roll and you make your, you know, oh yeah, tough decision. Do you roll, try to get that or you just go for something normal? All right. Well, I'm doing all this to you. Here's a negative effect that you have. And so, yeah. So having a co-op mode, and there's actually quite a few different uh, villains that you'd be playing against with it, uh, is the way that I probably would play this a lot of the time moving forward. And so it's fully compatible with all the heroes. And I mean, it's fully compatible with all Dice Throne. Um, So you can technically play with any of the original Dice Throne characters um, alongside supposedly all the Marvel ones too. But I don't know. I don't have any affinity to really buy any of the original ones. Um, But the missions co-op mode seems really cool. Uh, It's not like a campaign. So you're just playing one mission. You're going through it. They do have some rules that could allow you to carry some things forward between playthroughs if you wanted to do that, but that's not the uh, that's not the intended way to play through uh, the missions co-op mode. So that's what I'm excited for. Looks really cool. Like, bring on more dice thrown. Yeah. So as I mentioned near the top of the show, this year has meant a lot of Frosthaven playing. Um, the one difference with my gaming group is that now we're traveling between three locations aside from my apartment to play the game. This means lugging 30 plus pounds of board game back and forth to my car, up and down stairs and elevators, twisting through doors and lifting it up and down off the floor can constantly. Um, by the time I get home on some of those nights, I can definitely tell that I didn't lift or carry it as smartly as I should have. Um, any thoughts on who can help me get my back back in whack? Yeah, well, first off, it sounds like you need a valde, and at the moment, <laughs> I'm available. <laughs> uh, we can talk about pricing and structure off microphone. <laughs> 
but we suggest checking out Premier Health. They have solutions for back pain, neck pain, car accident, board game related injuries, and more. We suggesting Dr. Camille in Golden Valley, Minnesota. Learn more at PremierHealthMN.com. That's PremierHealthMN as in Minnesota.com. Next up, we're going to do Tom Awesome's Top 5. It's time now for... Tom Awesome's Top 5 Countdown. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. For the Top 5 today, we're going to discuss the Top 5 Most Intriguing and or Controversial Crowdfunding Campaigns that Adam has been involved with, along with some crowdfunding tips. So Adam, we'll turn the Top 5 back over to you. Yeah, so... Uh, I was really trying to ponder what to talk about this time around, and, and I know with this show we always try to keep it board game related. We've done like mechanics and things like that, so of course Joe and I using work time to the most optimum, we oh, yeah. discussed what we should try to talk about on the top five because I was really looking for some ideas, and and we kind of were like on a mix between like, oh, well, we could talk about like the top five most funded. It's like, well, that's we can look that up, but how, how boring or dry might yeah. that be? Like We're just talking about people gaining a bunch of money and I'm like, well, we could talk about like controversial ones or whatever, the most controversial ones. And then, and I kind of like that idea or with like crowdfunding tips. And I kind of just fell on, well, why don't I just talk about the ones I've been involved in or saw the writing on the wall with? And then I can kind of talk from a personal experience and maybe the, the life lesson I learned while <laughs> crowdfunding way too many games in my life already. So well, um, that sounds awesome. What is the number five most intriguing or controversial crowd? Con- crowdfunding campaign you've been involved with. Yep. So number five is with FunForge Games. So this was for Monumental. Uh, Monumental is basically like a deck building area control combat game. It seemed really ambitious to start. And then like when they crowdfunded it the first time, it did really good. Like everyone, like glowing reviews, tons of people say like, this is fantastic. More people need in their hands. Well, it was a crowdfunding game. So therefore there are no extra copies. So they came out with Monumental 1.5 to update some of the rule books. They did a reprint of that and then also added a, a small expansion, not small, but like an expansion to add a little bit more and then added some like Titans and stuff that you can end up fighting and, and stuff like that. So I was pretty intrigued. It was one of those games that it was like, I didn't back during the campaign, but I kept on watching the updates. I'm like, gosh, you know, and then I watched more reviews and more people were like, oh my gosh, you really need to get this. I'm like, dang it. So I late pledged. <laughs> well, then COVID hit. So like F me kind of, I guess. But <laughs> um, So this scenario is through COVID, a lot of us crowdfunders experienced like the asking for extra money. And I think for the most part, a lot of companies did it pretty tactfully mm-hmm. and saying like, for example, the Nemesis Games who did Uprising, I'll just keep on coming back to them. They were like, hey, we need some extra funds, but we're going to make these promos. We're going to make these like foil promos. And it's like 10 bucks. Like, okay, so 10 bucks. Yeah, it's maybe expensive for a promo, but like, hey, I'm getting something out of it. And I know I'm going to get my game because I'm helping raise funds. Well, they blew their funding out of the water. And it's like, I didn't even feel bad that we overpaid because it's like, that's just going to help them continue down the road to make great games. And, and sure enough, well, guess what? Another expansion's already released and delivered. Um, so like, that makes me feel good. FunForge, for whatever reason, said, you know what? No, we're going to handle this internally. We're not going to take any money. We'll figure it out, which then turned into, okay, we're not going to have any more updates because we don't have any consistent updates because we're kind of frozen on funds. (laughs) And, you know, we'll let you know when we know something. And at that point, I was like, this is probably 
I remember like I aming Joe, I don't know, probably like two years ago in the middle of COVID. And it's like, I don't know if I'm ever getting this game. And we had this mm-hmm. like small conversation of, well, these are the games I'm really worried about now. Like, is this a, becoming a trend? Because there were companies that were like, we're not asking for more money. Like they had like this prideful thing going on. It was just kind of like, just ask your, like if they've already paid $200 for a game, ask them for 15 more dollars. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you most people are happy to give you that yeah. if that's mm-hmm. what it takes. And make it optional. Yeah. Not, like, not, not the example yeah. we'll get to in a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Make it optional. And, and, like, you get the people who are like, you know what? I'm going to pay 115 bucks. That way, if someone can't afford it here, can can I do donations for other people as well? You get tons of awesome people that are trying to help make these games possible. Well, I think for that kind of good story at the end of it, um, while I was doing kind of research for this, I was like, hey, uh, since I'm a late pledger, I wasn't getting regular updates. I went to go back, check the campaign. Turns out it's being delivered next month. Oh, nice. So if they did figure their stuff out and they did come out of it. But it's like, I mean, the game's probably like four years almost late by the time it delivers mm-hmm. at this point. Woof. So it's like, and for uh, three of those years, you felt like you were never going to get the game and that mm-hmm. you just wasted a bunch of money. So I think this like is a good reminder and here's my tip here that crowdfunding is not pre-ordering and it's more like investing they don't guarantee results and and i think more sadly more and more people are trying to just come up with scams because times are hard and anyone's looking for an easy buck and that's what i think you'll see in some of these upcoming campaigns too is like or examples is like crowdfunding isn't guaranteed and you got to be careful with your money so like definitely doing research uh as like joe and i said before oh we didn't look into this one well that you might want to go with a reputable reputable Mm -hmm. company if you do that but like you definitely need to do your research to make sure you're not getting scammed that's such an important distinction that you draw because i view it as pre-ordering i view it as i pay my money give me my game okay it's gonna take a hundred million billion years sucks i can kind of ish live with that but like the thought of backing a game then having it go belly up and just being out that money i would lose my gd mind (laughs) yes yeah so that's a big thing and even kickstarter is i think a big proponent of this like literally having a disclaimer from them saying this is not a pre-order system like results are not guaranteed yeah and so that's just a big reminder to all those crowdfunding people out there like Joe and I. And <laughs> I don't know. I feel like you and I are some of the biggest board game crowdfunders I know. But You certainly are the biggest ones I know. And yeah. I'm glad you guys are both here. So number five. And I'm just going to throw in there. There's a, there's a pretty distinct difference between me and Adam. I just want to throw that out there. But, oh, no. uh, but yeah. Just wait until there's some crowdfunding for something Final Fantasy related. Yeah. Number five, Fun Forge Games. Number four. Yeah. So number four is Toizo. Um, so Toizo came out claiming they were going to make a full-on board game table for $269. And I don't mean like, here's a card table and we're going to slap something down like poker s, like poker table style. I mean, they're like, we're going to make fully wooden with like rail system and accessories and we're going to include the accessories for free and like all you really have to do is if you want a topper for it or not but the base cost is going to be 269 dollars and i saw this i'm like holy cow this is this is an awesome deal like i've been a big proponent of wormwood gaming which they do Mm -hmm. really high quality stuff but you pay for that quality and i was like 269 i mean i don't need another board game table but hell like (laughs) i'll buy it and give it to joe or someone i don't know so like i was like really like following this campaign for a while and then the i thought points, i was your charity recipient here. oh sorry sorry i would give it to tom i would just order two at that price and that would have been cheaper than nemesis but um the writing was kind of on the wall with this one because 
like myself, other people started like being vocal about it in the comments. And that's when the real red flags started showing up like, oh, well, how are you going to deliver? Like, how do you have local delivery? You're based out of Thailand or wherever they were from. Uh-huh. And they're like, oh, well, we're going to ship to these warehouses. And then someone looked up what those warehouses were. And it's like, they're Walmart warehouses. So they're like, oh, so you have a partnership with Walmart? And actually, like, somehow someone like Walmart employee or someone was watching it, like it's possible, right? And they're like, oh, yeah, no, these people have never worked with Walmart, so you don't expect to, like, pick up your table at Walmart. And then, like, there's this whole backtrack thing, like, oh, well, we've worked with partners similar to this before. That was just an example. And it kind of just goes on from there, like, well, how are you going to have this quality? And it's like, oh, well, this, this, and this, and and then someone else will speak up, like, that doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. And then they kind of backtrack. And and so, sadly, it still raised almost $500,000. Oof. Um, so we'll see what happens, but I I think with this one, it's like, you may get, oh, and the other interesting thing with this one is they had a really rudimentary website. And as soon as the campaign went down, they closed their website. So it's like, now it's just like a whole, like they still own the, like the IP address or the, the domain. Thank you. Um, but it's like, it's just like a holding, like, oh, there's nothing on this. And so it's like, oh, it, and it's just like, if you have any issues, please contact this email. But it's like, how good do you feel when you see the website sound, right? So, mm-hmm. so this was just like, I think it's one of those lessons to learn. Like, if a deal seems too good to be true, it's probably a scam or not to the quality that they present. So yeah. you may get a table for that $269. <laughs> exactly. But you may be getting just a really flimsy you know, like one, one by one inch, like, you know, table legs that snap, like, yeah. so yeah. Was this on Kickstarter or was this a GameFound one? This was a Kickstarter. What yep. kind of protections does Kickstarter have if something like this seems to be pretty clearly a scam? Well, the problem is, because people did flag it for Kickstarter to review, they had all the proper paperwork done. They had testing done. They had pictures of a product. They were able to kind of refute all of the claims. But what it seemed like is they built one table and said, here's how it is. Now, whether they built it at the $269, I doubt it. Because right. that's like getting into production costs. And and like it was actually from like Toizo is some spawn of some sort of manufacturing company over in Thailand, I believe it is. So it's like they had legitimacy, so Kickstarter couldn't necessarily shut them down. But it was definitely like a lot of the people in the community were like, oh, watch out for this. But once again, you have new people coming to Kickstarter They're like, oh, my gosh, like I just got Splendors and I'm into gaming. I'm going to buy this really cheap gaming table. Mm-hmm. And like they might not see the, they might not read the comment section. They might not understand or maybe they're just reading and they're like, wow, that's a Debbie Downer over there. Like I'm still excited, but it's like, yeah, it, it's tough. So there's still, so Kickstarter's protection for themselves is that disclaimer at the bottom saying this yeah. is not a pre-ordering system. This is woof like yeah there's etsy has very consumer friendly protection plans so it's possible it's disappointing that kickstarter doesn't have something to protect their customers i think it's probably it's also probably just because of the fact that there's so many aspects that are outside of their control with that whereas etsy is sort of a website that really just is the middleman to get you to these small creators right um whereas kickstarter is a platform to allow these people to market their product. Um, so Kickstarter probably wants to try to keep, especially since there's just so many different things when you're making a product that can happen in that time frame, as opposed to, you know, with Etsy, I think they can have those 
more staunch protections. Yeah, and Kickstarter, like, out of the 500k raised for the Toyzo board gaming tables, like, they get their percentage, and, like, they're basically Wayland-Yutani, and they don't want to give that back. That's true. Yeah. Right, yeah. They are, they are the big evil corporation. So, number five, FunForge Games. Number four, Toyzo. Number three. So, what I heard on that last one, though, is new Burn Cycle expansion coming soon, Kickstarter, because they did switch to GameFound, Chip Theory did. So, uh, <laughs> watch, watch out there. Yeah, sorry. Number three, um, Academy Games. So... Academy Games, for all you big 4X nerds out there, I feel like I might be talking to myself here, but um, the 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 computer game Stellaris, obviously huge, grandiose space mm-hmm. opera um, computer game that just doesn't seem to die. Apparently they just came out with a turn-based expansion, which might make me like re-up buying an expansion on that one, but <laughs> too many other games to play, I guess. Um, so they were Academy Games, normally known for their historical uh like kind of combat games got the ip for stellaris and decided they were going to make this huge like legacy game where it's like just like the the computer game you can play for a little bit and then if you decide you want to kind of like re-roll your your faction you can but you can also save that faction you rolled to begin with and it can turn into an npc and then that can play through your campaign as well as then a non-player character um through the thing and it just seemed seemed like a very a stellaris is such a huge game that's hard to replicate in itself and then b to have all these promises seemed very daunting so i was a day one backer to begin with because i was pumped for stellaris i love my 4x i love my board games this seemed like a match made in heaven for me as the campaign went on and the questions and the q a like live streams were happening there was just like a lot of like hesitancy from me on that and i'm just like i really don't feel like this is fleshed out enough to know if it's going to work and you know what there may be a game that happens or comes of it i want to see the reviews how well does it actually work Mm because i know the time and involvement it takes to make like i've talked a lot with the too many bone like the chip theory games people on like what it takes to involve that and and now you're trying to take this huge grandiose scale game and and make it the same way and i just i was concerned so i ended up canceling my pledge in the last 48 hours and i would like to say that i probably made the right choice because as two years the game is now two years late and is still in development (laughs) um and there was like this big thing about all these promises again and it's like and it's like oh I've seen people say, oh, it's like reinstated my faith that this is like they're doing a good job. And to me, it's like, yeah, but they promised all these things two years ago and where they're still at the same step. They're still developing the game. So and they're no man skying it. Only they're not like paying it off down the line. Like, right. They haven't gotten to that point yet. Right. So like for me, it was just too many red flags that I had to, I canceled to, you know, as lessons learned. And the other thing too, that is a big, big red flag to me is they had what it was game modes as add-ons and stretch goals and when in my head if you're making a game you can't have an add-on or an add-on isn't as bad as a stretch goal but a stretch goal for a game mode tells me that you haven't even thought about that game mode yet in your design because you don't know if you're going to hit that stretch goal or not in crowdfunding so like for all the people who maybe don't know what crowdfunding stretch mm-hmm. goals are, is like, okay, so you let's say you need a million dollars to reach to raise the game. So, okay, we hit a million dollars. Well, what happens when we hit like 1.25 million, right? So we get there. It's like, oh, we're going to add in these like bonus cards or we're going to make an extra character for you. Some more yeah. simple things. But when people are like, oh, well, when you double the funding, original funding goal, we're going to add in solo mode. It's like you haven't even thought about solo yeah. mode then and you don't care if you get there, which to me is like, 
it's not going to be yeah. well thought out. Especially if it's a smaller creator, because um, if it's like a larger company and they know they're going to make like X yeah. amount, yeah. they've probably already sort of baked that in. And it's really just to try to keep the hype and momentum going of the, of the, of the, of the campaign. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's just, it's either not a good game mode if it's not part of the main game or like it should be part of the main game. Right? Correct. Yeah. So that's, that's a red flag for me. So that's Academy games, I guess yet to still be determined if a good game comes out of that or not, but I'm I'll not, let you know if I see it at the source. Yeah. I don't have my money tied up in it for now, which is good. And it was an expensive one. If I remember, I believe over the $500 mark. Oof. Oof. So like, Again, if I'm going to pay $500 for a board game, which frankly, I'm just not going to do. Uh, but if I were to, I want to pick it up, bring it out to my car, bring it home, unbox it. Like, I just, I can't imagine waiting multiple years. And then, like, if it doesn't show up, again, I'm going to lose my GD mind. Yeah, for for that price, Tom wants to make sweet, sweet love to it that night. So Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. 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 Accurate. <laughs> yeah. So number five, Fun Forge Games. Number four, Toy Zone. Number three, Academy Games. Number two... Yep, so number two is Mythic Games. So Mythic Games probably has one of the most controversial campaigns. Multiple, that's multiple campaigns to date right now. So basically, in a long story short, they had, through COVID, did not manage COVID very well. And they did not manage money very well. There was a series of layoffs at the company. There was a series of apparently behind the scenes, which has now come out to the public. They were so like, for example, they had um, Darkest Dungeon. And then I believe they had like uh, Siege 6, which was like the... Um, Six Siege? Yes, thank you. That's It was the board game of that. And then they had a couple other projects past that. Um, what they were doing behind the scenes was borrowing money from that campaign to start finishing development of Darkest Dungeon and so on. So then they were coming out with campaigns to fund previous campaigns and hoping by the end of COVID they'd just come out on the other end okay. Well, they didn't. <sighs> so now what ended up happening was for Phase 1 pledges you had to pay extra for shipping well what they didn't really very well explain is it was a hostage situation of if you didn't pay you're not getting this in wave one and and there's a window so if you don't pay within the window you're not getting your game and so there's a bunch of people that are like okay well i guess i'll just wait for wave two see if it happens because not a lot of people can afford because it wasn't like oh here's 10 15 bucks it was like repay for your shipping and it's doubled so now they're paying astronomical prices for a board game i didn't back the game at the time so i wasn't locked into this thank god um you were close i was really close because there wasn't any writing on the wall for this at all that time yeah the only thing that you could have maybe seen was the campaign after campaign after campaign after campaign with not having anything delivered um, so Mythic had a pretty good track record before that. So correct. That's, that's part of it correct. also. Correct. And it was all pre-pandemic or was Darkest Dungeon well, Dark- right after Darkest Dungeon started? was... Well, Darkest Dungeon funded pre-pandemic but was still in right. development during. Right. So right. then the okay. next campaign came out during COVID. Yeah. Excuse me, along with the next three, yeah. I think, that they had even after that. So it was like, okay, so then that's maybe a concern. So if you're already in at Darkest Dungeon, well... Sorry, but they still were offering refunds at the time before kind of (laughs) SHIT hit the fan. Um, But yeah, so it's just this interesting situation. And I believe current status is um, 
now it's just a thing like you have to pay like all games down the line you're going to have to pay more which is basically doubling everyone's pledges for the games they wanted they've completely canceled their last game i believe that they came out with because they're like yep we've just been borrowing money there's no feasible way for us to fund this last game Mm -hmm. and a lot of people then are like now for like darkest dungeon for example are like okay now i have to pay this insane cost and like i know there's been like sometimes even double asking for shipping and like actually for darkest dungeon itself if you didn't pay if you paid in the first one you're gonna have reduced wave two shipping now but if you didn't pay in the first one it's now like three times the cost of what original shipping was and it's just like insanely expensive and i feel horrible for all those people but i pre-ordered all of wave one from miniature market for probably half of what their mythic games is trying to sell it for retail and, and so I like I got a steal on it, and I have the whole f- wave one, all Kickstarter exclusives and everything. Well, this sounds like such a dirty situation. We have a Darkest Dungeon show planned for later this year, where Correct. we're going to play the board game, we're going to play the computer game Darkest Dungeon two. Is that still something that we want to pursue, given what's happening with Mythic Games? Well, I think the other thing in itself is so Red Hook. Right? Am I Red Hook? Am I remembering yeah, correctly? They have expressly came out that they kind of regret partnering with them, and they're just trying to. They are trying to find ways to help with the payments. But it sounds like whether they offer them money or not to like get it through, because they don't want their name tarnished. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would say that like they're trying to do the good thing for the customers, where Mythic is just not. And and it, and it at this point it seems like okay, so now they've like thinned down, they're on Skeleton Crew. Now it kind of seems like they're just trying to like like have that Skeleton Crew live off of the f- like hostage situations of the game. And what they're doing on top of that is if you didn't pay in Wave 1 cuz all of Wave 1 arrived into the US for distribution. If you didn't pay, that's where they're now selling those copies in Wave 1 to gain more money as well for people who didn't back because they're like oh now i can just go buy it on the website and get it shipped to myself so it's like it's a it's a pretty crappy situation but i would say we don't need to cut it for them we can you know credit to red hook for the game and world they created i think it's still good for that purpose we can we can talk about if we want to but i think darkest dungeon itself and from what i've heard could be potentially one of mythic's best games as well when are you supposed to get your copies of darkest dungeon or did you already get it i already have it oh, i already God. started paint priming and painting so oh, yeah it's oh, like nice. awesome. so yeah so it's it's um yeah i i got it within the week i ordered it oh nice oh, okay so but i ordered it off miniature market for half the cost of retail that mythic games is selling it for yeah so buy games retail don't crowdfund that's exactly. what i keep hearing yes yes a yes. quick recap before we do your honorable mentions number five fun forge games number four toyzo number three academy games number two wolf mythic games uh, what are your honorable mentions before we get into our last couple of topics for this? Yeah, show? so honorable mentions for me on this, I guess, is kind of I'm trying to go from this point of being honorable. So like companies that I have a lot of confidence in backing or have done right by customers, I feel like. So for example, Chip Theory Games, they've been tried and true. They're one of the only companies that actually went back to free shipping on crowdfunding. Uh, so they offer free shipping on their their games these days, or even when purchasing on their website past. They offer like subsidized shipping. I feel like they do a really good job in terms of like customer support and everything like that. If there's problems, they're really good about it. Well, really, um, how much does it cost to send a bunch of poker chips to people? I mean, come on. Right with metal cores, yeah, probably yeah. not that much. Come the game, on. the games are nice and light. Okay. So, um, 
I would say Nemesis Games is the uprising um, company that I w- worked very closely with that um, actually I have credit in their first rule book for writing some of the lore for them. And so they were like up front right away with COVID. They did really good. They are a small publisher. I just wanted to like give them a shout out because like they do good work and they they like checked in with multiple people personally, like sending messages, making sure like things were good. Everyone got stuff. They were wanting to make sure people got their game because they cared. Um, Awakened Realms. Obviously, big company, game found creators, but I think what they did good is not only do they have like frequent updates and they make good games and they follow through on all their stuff, they made the stable pledge on their website, which is basically like now a guarantee mm-hmm. that if you don't get it, you will get your money back. So companies, they can get into a contract of being a stable pledge. I think that's awesome that they did that. Mind Clash is another bigger game that has made Anachrony and a couple other games that we've played like that. They've always done really good. They've been very prompt about their deliveries. They're very accurate with their delivery estimations, even through COVID. And then Wormwood, I've always had a great experience with as well for board game accessories. And actually, they're so on top of wanting their schedule to be exactly correct. If they are one month off of delivery, they send you a $25 gift card with your pledge as well to for, for future products or Kickstarters or whatever. And you can use that on Kickstarter or or on their website as well. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Just five kind of good games I wanted to, or companies I want to call out that there are still good people out there. They're trying to do good things for gamers. So, yeah. And obviously, if a company has a pretty good track record, it's pretty safe to back their stuff. Now, you run into the mythic aspect of it sometimes, but some of these larger companies, you know, that have released so many different things, it's it's probably a safe bet if you're looking at uh, crowdfunding something from them that you'll get what you're, what you're ordering. Yep. Yep. For sure. So... Well, then you're number one for your most uh, intriguing or controversial crowdfunding campaign. Yeah, so I wanted to kind of end on a good note because I know Mythic Games was a pretty heavy one for some (laughs) people. So um, I'm going to not pronounce this correctly, so I'm going to have Joe help me out here. But Larian Studios. Thank you. Larian Studios, so the makers of Divinity Original Sin and also Baldur's Gate 3, which I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with now. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, I didn't like have the connection until last night when the epiphany went off. They created a Divinity Original Sin board game, and they crowdfunded it, and it came out, and there's pictures you can still look now on on their Kickstarter website, and it is completely different than what they delivered. So there was this time where it's like they they did the whole crowdfunding, and then just like Trudevon, they're like, you know what? This isn't working. We're kind of scrapping this and restarting. And it's like, we still want the original idea of what it is. They were still working off the Divinity Original Sin like model. So they were like really trying to like go through that. But obviously with everything else going on in crowdfunding, everyone's like, well, we might never see this game where this is going to be a pile of trash or this is not what I signed up for. And there's a lot of negativity around it. And it it, it was delayed and, and late. But however, just about a month ago, copies started arriving at people's houses content creators are starting to get like some of the early wave stuff and people are really really liking actually what they made and and people are saying you know what i am so happy i backed this game it's not what i originally backed but they did a good job and and what they were trying to keep it to and i think this is what made them change it was i think they were getting too far away from the divinity original sin formula that they wanted being the game designers on both ends of the board game and the video game and they just wanted to make it more of of what they i guess envisioned and so for me honestly i'm kind of interested to see what happens with it i'll be following it closely but they are accepting pre-orders and who knows if i throw my name into that <laughs> or not but um miracles i guess can happen in crowdfunding where they make some stuff on like true i guess uh joe you have a very familiar um 
experience with that that didn't go well but there are yeah. some good stories that do come out of maybe hiccups or bumps speed bumps in crowdfunding yeah so. that was probably trudvang was probably one of those instances where you know some a simon games which is a very well-known crowdfunding publisher um had a pretty rough snafu where they basically partway through development of the game after they had funded it had to completely redesign it because it just wasn't coming together. Things weren't working the way that they thought, which added another like year and a half to the timeline. Oof. <clears throat> and that was a game that, you know, I already wasn't super happy I crowdfunded because then a game I really wanted cut, popped up right after that. And I was like, oh, this is like so much more of the game I want to play. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, that happens, though. Life is life. Yeah, crowdfunding sounds wild. Uh, there is very little that you said here, Adam, that makes me more excited to crowd for <laughs> crowdfund more games. It, it, or or it, gaming it, tables, right? Yeah, yeah. or yeah, accessories. Yeah. Or... I guess just come over to my house. Yeah, sounds good. You should move a little bit closer. <laughs> uh, right now, now it's pretty empty, though. My house, which one? The, the, the new one. Yeah, the new one's pretty empty. It's got some two-by-fours. Uh, we have actually uh, painted ceilings now and Ooh. primed walls. So Yeah, fancy. Uh, might All be getting stuff. floors next week, Ooh. so who knows? That was Tom Awesome's top five. Adam, going through the most, the top five most intriguing or controversial crowdfunding exp- campaigns he's been a part of. Next up, we're going to spend some time talking about not a new game, but uh, a game that I wanted to wedge into the show, Shadow Kingdoms of Valeria. Before we get into the updates of the games we've talked about on New Year's New Games in the past, we're going to talk about this game from Daily Magic Games, Board Game Rookie, Lucky Duck Games, and Schwark Verlag and Surfin Meeple China. Uh, Shadow Kingdom of Valeria is designed by Stan Kordonsky. Uh, just a quick note, I want to say a thank you to Daily Magic Games for providing a review copy of this game. You can look for a full written review on OutsideIsOverrated.com in the coming weeks. The basic theme of Shadow Kingdom of Valeria is you're trying to expand your influence to become the evil overlord of Valeria. The core mechanics include dice drafting and worker placement. Uh, We had an opportunity, the three of us, to play this game recently. Adam, what were your first impressions playing Shadow Kingdoms of Valeria? Yeah, so I really liked the game. I've been enjoying all the games kind of in the Valeria line that you've been exposing me to because as as shocking as it may seem to all the listeners out there, I can't afford every single game that's ever been made. No. I know. Um, But to me, actually, what I found interesting was it felt very much like while my first experience, it felt like an engine builder. Um, but I noticed then kind of after you put this in as a, as a segment too, um, that that is not a mechanic listed on the board game geek, uh, site and, and, and not that that's like end all be all. And that's kind of opinionated, but typically the publishers are the ones who are creating those postings for their own games. So them not seeing it as that, uh, definitely like boggled me a little bit and that might come out more with the strategy and, and next time we play talk, but yeah. That's that's where I'm at with it. I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. It was good. Yeah, it's a good game. Basically, you're visiting one of five different locations on the board. Every location you go to, you take a die from that location, and each one has a unique benefit, whether it's a gem to flip your dice or getting a battle plan. And you use your die to complete these battle plans until somebody has completed seven of them, and then it's game over and Adam won. Bernsey, <laughs> your first impression with uh, Shadow Kingdoms. Yeah, I think the, one of the more interesting things to me about the game is just how many little things kind of connect together throughout the game. So, you know, with the dice. So you're picking up the dice, and 
the dice will have mul- the die will have multiple functions for you depending on what location you're at. So sometimes, you know, depending on your battle plan, you need certain color of dice to be able to accomplish that battle plan. Um, and so you'll go to a location, you'll pick up a die, um, and then so if that's like say a six, um, you know, that's good because you're going to be hitting hard when it comes to doing your fight. Um, but if you're on certain locations, like there's one where you gather gold. Um, the lower the die is, the more gold you get to gather at that location. Or on the locations where you either buy a minion, it's not a minion. Champion. Champion. You either buy a champion, which is going to give you benefits either immediately or as the game goes or at the end of the game. Um, or you can buy those battle plans. The lower the die number is, the higher the discount is on the value it costs for you to purchase those different things. Um, and I think that's... That's a really neat mechanic because then you're trying to determine um, what is the best way for me to go about this. Do I get a higher die value or do I have enough ways unlocked to manipulate that die value to be able to change it to something higher when it goes to attacking the battle plan down the line? And they give you two different ways to manipulate your dice. You can get gems, which allows you to flip a die. So if you take a one for a big discount or more gold, you can use a gem to flip that into a six. Or you can use that same gem to turn a die of any color into a wild die. So you could have a green die, but maybe you need a red one to complete your battle plan. So you can use your gem to turn your green die into a red. So there's a little bit of dice manipulation in there as well. Bernsey, what kind of a strategy did you take? You've played this game twice now, once yeah. with the three of us and once with me and Phoenix. What uh, what are some of the strategies you've used in Shadow Kingdoms of Valeria? Yeah, so the first time, I, I don't know that I had much of a strategy. Um, and so... You know, I started to pick up different things as the game went on. One of the other really cool mechanics of it is it's similar to Scythe, where as you hit milestones throughout the game, you're unlocking new abilities by removing cylinders off of your, or your chits or whatever you want to call it, off of your player board that's going to unlock, unlock extra things. So like one of them is allows you to increase your capacity for champions from like three to six to 10. Um, another one is going to make it so um, your faction, which is one of the colors in the game that matches up to the dice in the game, um, that's going to make that wild. So any of those colored die are going to be wild. Um, so I think one of the important things that I didn't capitalize on in the first game was unlocking things in a very smart order on that board based upon what you can benefit off of earlier on versus versus what you can benefit off of later on in the game. Um, and so I think the strategy I employed in the second game was a much more of a, okay, what is the most important thing for me to unlock first? Um, what were the things that I wanted to prioritize to unlock on there? Um, and then when you take those cylinders off, you put them on a mat on the right side. Um, that gives you benefits immediately as well as when you have connections between them, um, you know, then you get extra benefits on top of that. Um, so I think the second game I had a lot better strategy uh, of how I was going to approach that and then which of the objectives that are available for us to try to accomplish I wanted to focus on. And then I basically just tried to hit that as hard as I could to try to be the first person to complete at least one, if not a couple of the objectives. And I was able to do that, which which helped me quite a bit, 
and allowed me to win the game. And Adam, you crushed us to goo in the first time that you played this game. So what is the correct order for unlocking the different upgrades on your player board? Yeah, so I feel like the wild die option. So like when you unlock it, it makes your color that you've selected for your creature wild. And, and I feel like in a game of efficiency, because that's what I feel this is, mm-hmm. having the wild variability is like a must step number one is how do I make my optimization also have flexibility? I don't know if that makes any sense to anyone listening, <laughs> but um, I think, like I, like I said, I was going to bring up Viticulture again. So Viticulture base game before you, you put in the expansions is a very cutthroat race to optimization of winemaking is what it is. And, and I think this game is somewhat similar in that it's all going to be very tight. So as soon as you get a little loosey goosey and like, well, I'm really just trying to like optimize this one card instead of my overall strategy, instead of just taking a lesser card, maybe at the time or one that doesn't fulfill a a public objective. um, I feel like then hinders your steps to victory Mm because when you end the game, the game ends basically is how that works. So if you can get there first, there's a good chance that that's, the winner. I don't know. I've only played once, so I'm not like an expert. I'm not claiming, but that's my analysis of the game from the first play. Yep, and I think what I'm going to focus on next time, uh, I agree that the wild die is important, but what I'm going to push towards the next time we play is unlocking my different die capacity. You can go up to a maximum of five die. Five die. Then I'm going to look for champions that either give me battle plans so I don't have to go to the tactic shrine and or champions that give you a die off the board. So I just... It is a race to efficiency, and so the more die you can accumulate and the more you can have, the more flexibility you'll have that way because the first person to complete the battle plans, uh, they're really driving the show, and they have the most opportunity for victory points. Yeah, and I think those battle plans weigh more than maybe the public objectives, in my opinion. I don't know because you know, I'd like to play a couple more times to see if that's the case, um, but I feel like, if I'm remembering correctly, if you can optimize your battle plans right away, you're scoring a lot more points than... Because I think the public objectives are worth like nine. They range, yeah, it varies from like seven to nine for first okay, place. Okay, so seven to nine. So nine's on the high end. And I want to say like for public scoring of the battle plans, nine is kind of like intro scoring for that. Six is where you start out with your Six? Okay. level of influence. And, but that goes up to 15-ish, 16-ish. Yeah, I think the highest combos you can get up to are like 22. Yeah, so like right there, you are you do one battle plan well and you've already doubled a, a public objective so in my head that's what like my step one is unlock wild die step two optimize battle plan step three end the game and see you later suckers that's <laughs> uh, not not saying that that's the way to win every time and i don't know like i said i only have one play experience but that's kind of what i saw was the engine and that's where i got confused i'm like well this is an engine builder apparently not the case but um yeah. that's kind of i guess how i viewed it in my head uh so like i think what so i the dice Unlocking the dice, I think, was important um, as well as the wild die. I mean, the wild die is just helpful because then as long as you can get those colored die, then it it can be anything, right, Um, as far as the color goes. Um, I think the champions are something that I tapped into in both times, and I think that is super helpful. Um, And I predominantly tended to, early in in the early game, focus on 
the ongoing middle ones, the ongoing champions that give you benefits as the game goes, as different things are triggered. Um, because I think that is that is super helpful to make certain actions that much better for you. My strategy was to buy those same ongoing champions and then forget that I had them and yep. never trigger their abilities. <laughs> yep. And uh, I don't win this game. So one thing I was thinking that you could do with that to help make those more visible is instead of putting them along the left side, if you have a little bit of room, put the ones that are ongoing above your player mat. So oh, that's a good idea. More visible to yeah. you, um, to just sort of be that like as you're coming back from the board to your player board. Oh yeah, did I trigger this kind of thing? That might help with that if you were forgetting that. Um, and then yeah, as you get closer to the end game, trying to capitalize on getting those end game um, champions. Uh, and I think. Those can be important um, along with the objectives if they match up. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, in the game last night, I had the Siege uh, champion. And then one of our objectives was to get three Siege battle plans. And so I was able to capitalize, get that fast, as well as get that champion. And so I was making a lot of victory points off of those, even though on each individual battle I maybe made a bit fewer because I wasn't I didn't have my influence high enough to be able to get a higher combat rating in that game it was you and me and Phoenix very tight game the yeah. final score was a difference of five we were all within five points of each other Phoenix misread her champion card and so that was the difference for her in falling behind she misread what the benefit she got from her champion so she thought you had it in the bag yeah wound up in last place it was that close yeah uh, but that's Shadow Kingdoms of Valeria. Uh, I will write up my full thoughts and have that on the website. Thank you again to Daily Magic Games for the review copy. But the last thing we're going to do for our last segment of the New Year New Games 2024 show, we're going to focus on some of the games that we've talked about over the last couple of years. We have 10 minutes left, so we're going to give real quick updates on uh, our takes on these games that you backed and whether or not you would buy it retail. Arc Nova, it's a zoo building game with tile placement, set collection, tableau building, card drafting, and end game bonuses. Uh, Adam, have you gotten this to the table, and is it worth buying retail? Yes. So uh, we actually played it at the last game weekend. I, Tom, I think it was... It was before night. I showed you up. Just, yep. yep. Um, so once again, our rock star friend, Ryan Young, uh, brought his copy. No, I brought my copy, but he, he, but he, he, taught, he taught us. So it was nice. It was one of those games that I bought that I didn't have to learn myself. Um I love it. I think it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. You don't have to save any manatee, so Joe enjoyed it, yep. I think. I won, too. Yes. That's he, like the, one of the first times I've played one of those games the first time and won. Yeah, so I think it was a pretty good experience overall. I think any of us would be happy to get it back to the table and try it again. So yeah. definitely it had some really interesting mechanic interactions that, like stemmed through your entire zoo yeah. per se it's like terraforming mars but taking some mechanics to like a little bit different level different variation which i think is pretty cool yeah well, you got me terraforming mars is awesome yeah next up aeon trespass odyssey a greek mythology based version of kingdom death monster it's co-op with world exploration boss monster battles campaign focus burns i know that you have played this yeah. a little bit uh so i guess both of you give your thoughts and whether or not you would buy it retail knowing what you know now I guess I don't even know how much it is at retail. Um, so I'm not sure on the cost-benefit analysis of that. Uh, I enjoyed what I've played of the game. Uh, I played a couple of sessions, but the last time I played was on January 1st, 2023. So it's been a while just because then we started playing Frosthaven and we've been playing Marvel Champions. So like 
with kind of the games that we've been playing with, you know, I was playing with Chewy. We've just been doing other things instead of playing that. But uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a really fun game. Uh, the sort of gameplay loop of it and the exploration then on top of when you get into the battles with the different bosses and then trying to determine what types of materials you need and then which bosses to fight. Um, and it's just all a lot of interesting mechanics that go together. I'd be curious once we play it again how well we'll be able to jump back in. Um, we do have everything sort of piled together in like the game state saved, so it should be able to jump into it, but it might be something over the next couple of weeks we jump into again uh, to get into there. Um, I think it's a lot of fun. It is a big game. It is a huge time commitment. Um, so that would be something to to sort of have in mind if you were looking at pulling the trigger on it. It's a pass for me. Yeah. I, so sadly this arrived like right in the middle of us planning to build a house and sell our house and clean our house so it looks good to sell and that whole fiasco of a circus that my wife and I decided to jump into. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I have not got this to the table, but from past experiences and from what Joe said and the complexity of this, uh, this could be a solo game for me mm-hmm. potentially um, to set up um, and just kind of leave up and play along the way. It sounds like that might be a good way to do it. Mm-hmm. So unless you're super into gaming and super solo and you got like a thousand dollars to burn a hole in your pocket, because mm-hmm. I think like between, so they have a new campaign that already came out like they right did. at the end and someone foolishly backed that as well. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh jeez. <laughs> like I didn't pull the trigger on that because yeah. it was just way too much in that one. It was. And it's just like it wasn't an all in. It was like the the, the core, core, the, the core the Heracles one. seasons or whatever. So I have quite a bit of content to go through, yeah. but that theme like really strikes in accord with me that greek mythology because wave two hasn't even come yet for that that's supposed to be this year sometime correct i'll need a separate house just to stay (laughs) on so aeon trespass odyssey huge time commitment big financial commitment but if you're into greek mythology and campaign based games it's worth checking out next up marvel dice throne dice rolling superhero combat you can be either co-op or competitive you roll dice you develop your characters you level up burnsy where should someone jump in with marvel dice throne so now at retail, basically the way that the Dice Throne retail t- packs go is that you buy two heroes together, and that's how they're separated. So I would just say if you're interested in it, and there's a couple of like there's one of the packs where it's like you like both those heroes, that'd be a good jumping in point to see if you like it, and then you could buy more heroes after that. Um, and if you really like it, um, you could probably try to get in on a late pledge on the missions and X Men uh, campaign to. Uh, then buy whatever else you don't have if you were really interested in it. So I'd recommend that. We've I've played it a good handful of times. I've played as almost all the heroes. I think there's one or two I haven't played as yet. It's fun. It's each one's different and interesting and feels fun to play. So superheroes plus dice equals fun. Marvel Champions Sinister Motives. This is the Marvel Living Card Game. It is cooperative. It's campaign based. Mernsey, how has your experience been with Marvel Champions Sinister Motives? And if someone wants to jump in on Champions, what's a good starting point? Um, so yeah, we've, we actually just finished the campaign that came after Sinister Motives, which was the first X-Men campaign. Um, Spider-Gwen and Miles Morales are really fun in Sinister Motives, uh, especially Ghost Spider, Spider-Gwen has some really interesting, uh, mechanics that you can pull off. Um, she kind of is at home in like a protection build. And when we were playing, Chewie was playing as, as her through the campaign. And there was times where he would do so much during the villains activation because a lot of those protection cards trigger off of like villain activations or blocking um so he would do most of his stuff 
not during the active phase. It was get to his active phase. He'd do like one or two things, and then it would be like, all right. And then he's just like card after card after card. <laughs> like when, when it got to the villains phase, which was a lot of fun. Um, the campaign in general was pretty good to play through. Um, each of the characters, especially Mysterio, um, had some really good elements to it. And then uh, the Green Goblin final villain was uh, super difficult to play through um not as difficult as like ronan the accuser accuser which is near impossible to beat um which is the end of the uh of the guardians of the galaxy uh campaign which came before sinister motives um i would say if you were looking so in order to get into it you do still need to buy a core set because there's a lot of cards in there that you need and then all the counters and the dials and stuff like that um then i would recommend just if there's a couple of characters that you really like, pick a couple of the character packs up and then one of the expansions and you would have lots of things to be able to play. Thor um, and Agent Venom for the win. Yeah. And, and so the Venom stuff is pretty interesting. Um, there's a symbiote suit card that you get out of that set um, that gives you it makes you super powerful. But for every symbiote suit that's in play, you add an encounter card when you get to the encounter card phase. So if you had like you know, three or four people in symbiote suits, you'd be getting, if you're playing a four-player game, you'd be getting eight encounter cards per activation, but you have, like, almost double health and all this extra strength and stuff, so um, it's kind of a interesting, uh, it's an interesting push-your-luck mechanic if you decided to use the symbiote suits, so. Fascinating. That is Marvel Champions Sinister Motives. That is going to do it for New Year's New Games 2024. Our final thoughts for this show a goal or ambition for 2024 burns in one sentence or so for uh board games board games and or life um i i think kind of like we talked about last year try to play a lot of the things that uh i've picked i've picked up in the last couple of years that i haven't gotten to the table yet so i think that's that's kind of a, a real focus i've been able to get through a few of those recently but trying to get through a few more um or a good chunk of that backlog would be great Yep, same for me. Um, house is predicted to be done early spring, so we're hoping to move in about April. Once that dust settles, probably liter literally and figuratively, I'd love to get back to like regular gaming, get my table set up. It'll be in an unfinished basement, but hey, it's space, and I can leave a game set up now. So I want to get back to what I was doing kind of pre-move. and, and Back to Robot Club, yeah. And back to Robot <laughs> Club for sure. So yeah, that's definitely that's definitely a, one I want to get back to. So My goal is to play a campaign game with my wife. Phoenix is really involved evolved as a gamer this year especially in the recent months i got her tainted grail for christmas and i am so excited to dive into that with her and it's all based on conversations that we've had here on the show uh super excited for it i'm excited for you guys i'm, I'm excited for us too <laughs> burns feels excited feel these nipples <laughs> <laughs> next month we're gonna break down devil may cry brian joey and i are playing devil may cry F devil may cry five and the board game based on the ip Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Outside is Overrated. Please review us on your favorite podcast platform and support our show on Patreon at patreon.com slash OIO. For Joey at HobbyBoxBurns on X and twitch.tv slash HobbyBoxBurns. For Adam at Ox's Auditorium on the Instagram, I'm Tom Sidlachik at Tom Sidlachik OIO. We'll talk to you next month. Stay inside, kids.